This is the Patriots Catch-22 Podcast with Evan Lazar and Alex Barth. I'm Evan Lazar. Evan Lazar. Evan Lazar. Hello, everybody. Nailed it. Joined, as always, by Alex Barth. That's a bit. That's a match. No risk it, no risk it. 22. Here is Evan Lazar and Alex Barth. You developed a quarterback you drafted three years ago. You don't let Tom Brady walk out the door without a backup plan. This was my whole thing I was screaming about for months about you don't want to go back in the quarterback carousel because you're right. It is scary. It is scary taking a quarterback in the top 10. Well, here we are. I mean, is it not what, scary? What a, what a perfect way to start off this is, show. Is, is this not scary? Unchart, uh, welcome. You thought when uh, – when and I'm right. not saying we're, it wasn't when Brady left. It was we're tough. We're like what, – what's the guy um, – I'm, I'm going to butcher it. Just keep going. I'm not saying that when <laughs> Brady left going. it wasn't uncharted territory, but – you want to talk about uncharted territory. You want to talk about the great unknown. Yeah. New England Patriots fans. We're in it. Welcome to the great unknown. And, you know, it, it's interesting, Alex, and, uh, you know, Alex Barth, Evan Lazar, Patriots Catch-22. Nothing to talk about today, Alex. Absolutely nothing for us to, to fill these next couple no, hours No, what are we going to do? Uh, uh, we're going to do three up, three down for the season. We're going to we're gonna talk about, you know, uh, the draft a little I bit. I had some Jarvis and, Green takes I wanted to get off uh, my chest. All right. Well, obviously, uh, <laughs> unless you live under a, a rock like Patrick Starr, uh, I will tell you all right now that the Patriots and Bill Belichick have agreed to part ways. No, wait. Hang on. Speaking of, can I just share this email I got from a sports I'm reader earlier? Because it kind of ties into yes. that. I, I got an email from somebody earlier today asking me when the preseason opponents are released. I got this we got 20 bigger minutes fish ago. To fry, bud. Who says Patriots fans aren't still bought in? Who says Patriots fans aren't still I, committed? I don't think that guy knows. Uh, so the Patriots, uh, easiest way to say this. Bill Belichick is no longer the head coach of your New England Patriots. That's just the bottom line. He is no longer the head coach of your New England Patriots. And as Alex uh, just just said, off the top of the show, the open of the show, Alex, was kind of why he's no longer the head coach of the New England Patriots. But Alex and I were both down here today uh, for the, the uh, noontime press conference uh, that had both Robert Kraft and Bill Belichick uh, give statements, no questions, but statements to the media uh, here at Gillette Stadium about this decision to mutually part ways. And then also the Q&A uh, with Mr. Kraft later in the day. Uh, talking about uh, the future a little bit and talking about the decision to move on from Bill Belichick. So we consumed it all, Alex, and now we're here to, to talk about it with the people. Uh, we are going to talk uh, uh, candidates a little bit. We will talk about structure, uh, power structure for the Patriots going forward a little bit. And and that's where you know we can get into the to how our reactions to today. Uh, yeah. But I want to start with this. As two people that are obsessed with the football, yeah, of all of this, and uh, where the, what this means for the football team, and let's not—I don't want to undersell because I don't think you can overstate how much Bill Belichick drove the bus on football operations in New England. We are talking about the guy, and Mister Kraft said it uh, this afternoon that made every single football decision. The draft answered to him. Free agency answered to him. The coaching staff answered to him. Yeah. The players answered to him. This was the Patriots football emperor. He's the czar. He did everything here in New England. And Greg Bedard asked uh, Mr. Kraft a question about what went wrong. And from a football perspective, why did the team fall short? And uh, I thought that that Robert had a really candid answer when he said that 
I, I probably am not qualified to tell you, right? Because right. I'm not a football coach. I'm not a general manager. I don't know the X's and O's well enough. I don't know the personnel well enough to sit here and tell you that I think that we went wrong because of X, Y, and Z. He actually, yeah, I think it was kind of a joke, but he said that Bedard probably knows is more qualified, which I, I think that is, and that clip is going to get a ton of play by my employer. I, I am sure next, it will uh, forever. But the but the point that I'm getting at by bringing yeah. all this up is that I don't want to lose sight of the fact that the Patriots are replacing more than a head coach. Yeah, here. this is not a one for one, and I, I wrote that this morning. This is not. I, I, writ, I wrote the list of head coaching candidates this morning, and the plan yeah. was to write the GM candidates, and then, you know, here it is six hours later, we've done all of this. Uh, and even on top of that, there may be more people, because you're talking about somebody who was, you know, the chief architect of the defense and all of that. There is so much to do now. There's there's so many roles to fill. Some of them will certainly be filled by people, I think, in-house. Some of them will be filled by external candidates. Yeah. and. It, some of them might get split up and roles might be changed again. This is uncharted territory. It's all going to look very different from here on out. Right. So with that in mind, I think when we start to talk about future succession plans, things like that, I think it's important to talk about it as who is going to be advising Robert Kraft and Jonathan Kraft on these hires, you know, because right. if they're sitting there telling you that they aren't really qualified to tell you what went wrong X's and O's football wise with the Patriots over the last four, three or four years, then they probably are going to be consulting or advising with someone because their consultant, their consigliere just walked out the door. Right. <laughs> so now they need to go ahead and find somebody different. And that's why I wonder, this is sort of my, my yeah. take on this, that that's why I wonder. And we, I think we're in maybe similar head spaces. Is there a role moving forward that is president of football operations so I, not the general manager yeah. those are two different people right right the president of football operations I think there's, there's two different ways to go with this because we see sometimes teams will bring in consultants for hiring searches right. and that's it that's the role and then there's the role you're describing which is basically like somebody who is ahead who's above the gm who runs the whole football operation to the first part there was a report last week that the the crafts were kind Robert Kraft was talking to a bunch of people about yeah. what to do. And that report was kind of, I think, viewed as what to do about Bill. Do you keep him? Do you fire him? Do you change his role? And I thought Robert, by the way, had a very good answer on that as well. But I also wonder if some of those conversations were about, well, if I do move on from Bill, what do I do? And I go back to Ben Volan reported they were speaking with Scott Pioli. Yeah. Like he's the kind of guy where I don't think you're going to hire Scott Pioli. But he's a consultant. You know, just, hey, you know, who do you think? How should this thing be set up? Who should I put where like that? The other role you're talking about, the president of football operations, is somebody to it, both oversee the GM and head coach and be a go-between between the GM right. and head coach. And you used Cam Neely as an example of that yeah. earlier. Um, Mike Lynch is another guy. Uh, Mike Lynch. John Lynch is another yeah. guy that fits that role. I kind of spoiled where I'm going with this. But, you know, we both kind of walked in here. I don't remember who asked the other one, but we just kind of said, is there a way that both Mike Vrabel and Gerard Mayo end up here? And that may be what that structure would look like. Yeah, so I just pulled it up because I wanted to get the, the roles correct. Yeah. So technically, 
John Lynch's role in San Francisco as president of football operations slash general manager. Yeah, I thought he was the GM. But, so, okay. technically. So, that one's a little different. And then Adam Peters is the assistant general manager, who's probably one of the hottest GM candidates on the market right, right now. And then my understanding is is that Kyle Shanahan has a big hand, the head coach obviously, yeah. has a big hand in personnel as well. So I, I look at it in, in, in their, their power structure. I would say that John Lynch is the general is the president of football operations slash general manager. Adam Peters is essentially their macro, right? Like he's like their scouting right. nerd. You know, he's the one that's really putting the board together, I would say. And then him and Kyle Shanahan are the ones that are then presenting to John Lynch, this is who we want to pick and why. And I wonder if the Patriots will have a similar sort of hierarchy where they have a head coach and whether they call it assistant general manager or director of player personnel, it's basically the same thing. They have a head coach and a, and a director of player personnel that are hatching their plan and, and doing the actual hardcore scouting of, you know, going on the road during the fall for the GM, you know, the, for the director of player personnel, go into the combine, go into the pro days, go into the senior bowl, you know, doing all those types of things. And then they then present a, united front to a Mike Rabel type to a John Lynch type and say this is what we think we are going to do because in a lot of ways in a lot of ways um, from what I understand of it for the Patriots I think that that's how it was a lot in a lot of ways with Bill I think Bill allowed the scouting department to really do the nitty-gritty work of putting their draft board together of putting their list of free agents together you know macro Elliot Wolf Cameron Williams the college scouting director those guys were the guys that were boots on the ground they're the ones that were out at all these things and they're the ones that are traveling around in the fall season to all these colleges and things like that and then they said to Bill here is our list like this is our this is our board and then Bill was then go ahead and have final say on who they actually pick at the end of the day. And I wonder if that they're going to do that same exact thing, but it's just instead of it all being on the head coach, right. there's going to be like two or three different people that kind of come so, together and make those and decisions. I'll give you another one too is uh, John Elway in Denver, right? Yeah. Where John Elway yep. was uh, George Patton's the GM, yep. and I, it was somebody else before that I don't remember, but they would kind of go in Elway. Yeah. And I know it didn't work out great in Denver in some of these, but like that's kind of the structure – you're looking at, and I would even say, so we, we threw this out as, is there a way to get Mayo and Vrabel, you know, in the building together? Even if not, this is still something I'd try to put together in in some sort right. of way. So there are people, and, you know, I brought this up on PU, and Fred, Fred has said this in the past, that feel like, you know, Gerard Mayo is the best guy to maybe go upstairs because he has a business background he's worked outside of football for a couple years there and he from what everybody hears about Gerard he has that kind of businessman acumen you know like he's kind of got that right he's got that savvy to him so maybe he's more like that but I, I look at it and say well Vrabel has coached the Titans for six years I think that he you know between playing for eight years with the Patriots and playing for more than that in the NFL and over a decade in the NFL and then coaching a little bit in Houston as an assistant, then six years on the sideline with the Titans as the head coach, he probably has more of the NFL background to make that leap if he would want to do something like that. Maybe he still wants to coach. 
you know, and that would take this off the board. Like if he still want, it, it has a passion for being right. a hands-on coach and things like that, and that would take this off the board. But I, I just, if you're a Patriot fan, I mean, I know there's a lot of people out there that want to blow it up and want to go a completely new direction, right? Like right. let's hire Ben Johnson with, you know, Adam Peters or who, you know, whatever. Like I'm just throwing out names now, but like yeah. guys that are, you know, Adam Peters was here, but the point being is that guys that are, are not touched by bill, right? Like that are, that are a little bit outside the circle of trust. And I can understand that. I just think that there's going to be, I don't think that's the way that it's going to go. I, I just think that there's going to be, a little bit of the dynasty still in yeah. this building. And maybe the way I look at it and the way, you know, kind of segueing into what happened today, uh, the way I look at it is that I don't think that in business you, you don't completely redo what you do most of the time, right? Like Apple isn't going to just like right. stop making computers, but Apple, when the time well, comes, they didn't they try? Like, wasn't that a whole thing? Like, Steve Jobs was there, and then he left, and then they. Or am I, I, I thinking of DreamWorks I'm just using, or something? I'm I don't just know. using right, Apple whatever. as an example. Uh, they're not going to stop making computers, but do they have to evolve with the with the times of computer? Right, like right. you know, when computers start going 3D and all this crazy stuff, like they're going to have to stick keep up with the technology. And in my mind, I think what's going to end up happening here in New England is that they're just going to try to modernize the the foundation that bill laid over the last 24 right. years and just update it and bring it to the 20 you know the year 2024 and maybe it was just lip service maybe it was just to, for appearances but today you know bill and and robert stood up there and they said that this was a mutual decision to amicably part ways i think that's ex the exact quote yeah. from from robert Kraft. i look at it and say that I actually believe that they sat down the last couple of days and said to themselves, this is what needs to happen for the Patriots to get back to a playoff caliber team. Steps one, two, three, four, five, right? Right. And I think they looked at it and they said, it's Bill is just at this stage of his career at 71 years old, 24 years into this, it's not necessarily that Bill doesn't have the football chops to make the right picks and put the right people in charge and do all that kind of stuff. I think it's more just the the time frame is is not there for him anymore here. Right. Where I think that in 2021, they said they still have Bill, and so we're going to try to just reset this quickly. And now I think they're looking at it and saying this is going to be a longer thing and it's going to probably be three or four years before if it all goes well, right? That the Patriots are truly back into in contention, and at that point, Bill, you're going to be 74, 75 years old. Well, and I think this is interesting. So Nick Saban actually just spoke. I think this is with ESPN. Um, I, I don't know if we'll have time to get into Saban today, but I, if, if we do, uh, he spoke. Yeah, this is on ESPN. And he said part of his reason to retire, quote, my age started becoming a little bit of an issue recruiting and hiring coaches. People wanted assurances I would be here for years, and it got harder and harder to be honest about it. Last season was grueling. It was a real grind. To your point, you know, you need to be sure. And, and one more thing on this, Bill was entering the final year of his contract. Yeah. He, one way or the other, like, he wasn't going to be a lame duck coach. Right. If they brought him back, they were going to extend him. Was he bought in for the three- to four-year window 
Or was it, hey, yeah, and he'd one or two more years, get the record, and then I'm done? If that was the case, that's another reason where, to your point, it's going to take them a little bit of time here to get this thing going. It's just different timelines. Right, and I think that that's what – ultimately, that's what I think it was the final nail. I don't think the final nail in the Bill Belichick era was necessarily that they did, that Robert Kraft and Jonathan Kraft lost faith in Bill Belichick, the football mind. Right. I think what the final nail was was that they recognized – what we did in 2021 was not sustainable for the long term. If we want to build this in the long term, like we did in 2000, then we're going to have to start from scratch and we're going to have to pick players at the top of the draft and get people in here that uh, are going to be here for the long haul. Right. And that what just, no matter what happened, like whether it was successful or not, Bill was not going to be here for the long haul. He's just too old. Like he's just right. not going to be here for another decade. So I believe that both sides saw that and, and both sides understood uh, that, that this timeline, like you said, just didn't really match up. What, what did you think of today? Uh, what was your reaction to, I think, a couple words that, that we used on PU that I thought were really uh, fitting? Uh, one was like almost eerie, right? Like Very eerie today. Yeah, that it ended. And the other one uh, for Bill and yeah. specifically was vulnerability, which I thought that on Monday – at his end of year yeah. press conference. And then today I thought were two times where I really saw bill admit that he's not perfect. Like it right. almost like admit to his own mortality. Right. You know, I'm not a God. I don't know. all know. I'm not all knowing. And I thought it was a, uh, it was a perfect end if it had to end this way. So, I mean, like you kind of knew there was a good chance it was going to happen. We didn't know for sure, but it right. felt like there was a real chance it was going to happen. I was still surprised this morning. I, I was still surprised when I saw it. It caught me off guard more than I thought it would. Yeah, coming down here is just weird. Seeing, like, you know, walking in the media room and there's all those people in there and everybody's in suits. Like, normally there's only a couple people, right, like wearing a suit. And just the the hushed tones of it all, it just it, – it felt – it was eerie. It was surreal. Yeah. And, you know, we go into that room where we've heard Bill address the team so many times and he gets up to the podium, you know, like, good morning. Yeah. And it, it – felt very normal and then about halfway through it hits me like this is the last time he's going to do this yeah and that was wild i will say this is going to be a great trivia question in a couple years who is the only player oh my god bill belichick mentioned by name in his patriots exit press conference mentioned a player by name he mentioned one player by name it was right at the beginning who was it tim tebow Oh God! Because he made the joke about all the cameras. Why? Why? But it was like, but that's the thing. It was like this is this monumental occasion, and he goes up there and he's cracking Tebow jokes. Yeah, like it was. It was like, is this real? Like, what is going on? And then Kraft at the end cracks the joke about, you know, oh, I'd give him a kiss, but he's got a cold. Like, they felt very at peace with it. To to your point about vulnerability, they both felt very at peace with the decision. Yeah, I I think that there had been this narrative, kind of to your point that. You know, Bill saying he's still under contract and it's really going to be a firing, even if it's not presented as that. It did not feel that way. And we both know these two guys know how to spin a narrative. And maybe they went up there and put on one hell of a show. I, I wouldn't rule that out. But it was it, it, give him an Oscar because they did a great job with that in, in you know, really re- caring. And, and Bill talked about it being um, an important day for him. Robert kept talking about it being an emotional day. Yeah. Bill got choked. I mean, Bill got choked up. Yeah, he did. Bill got choked up. I thought they did a fantastic job um, with the, like, 
They didn't fight the emotions of the day. They know it's an emotional day for them, and I think there's an understanding that it's an emotional day for a lot of other people, especially fans, and I think that they did a very good job in honoring that. Bill even thanked the media, which I'm sure a lot of people rolled their eyes at, and who knows how genuine that was, but not only did he thank them, he said he respects them. Uh, yeah, so maybe some of them. Uh, <laughs> I, I, I think, yeah, I, I, I agree with everything that you said, and I, it was an emotional day. I, I if... I, we had a lot of callers, a lot of emailers, Alex, uh, last couple of hours that, you know, said that they cried, you know, this, that. When, I mean, whether, I've definitely what, heard that. Whether you cried or not doesn't matter. Like, it was an emotional I day mean, I for got, I got a little emotional. I'm not a crier, but I got a little emotional. Uh, yeah. I, I okay, here's, you know here's me. I, I'm numb to these things. I know. You, you're a robot. Yeah. But I, I will say that it took, and you texted me, about this. it took a while to sink in that this is what this was. And like I said, yeah. like being in the media room, hearing him address the team, I did at one point, I was writing something and I wrote, the words former head co- under the context pages is Patriots owner Robert Kraft and and I started writing head coach yeah and I had to go back I was like Patriots owner Robert Kraft and now former head coach Bill yeah. Belichick and that that was weird that like I felt dirty it is writing weird. that it and, is and weird. I honestly I put the now because I was like and former head coach Bill Belichick felt too strong like yeah. now former made it feel like it was still a little bit in in transaction but yeah. um Weird day, but I, I I thought Robert handled it well. I thought Bill handled it well. Uh, you know, and credit to the Patriots PR staff and the social media team and all you got. Like, I thought the organization uh, handled it well. And, and Robert even saying, yeah, we're not really going to do anything over the top to honor him until he's done coaching. Correct. Yeah. It would be super weird to do that. And then, you know, the next day he goes and signs wherever. So I, I thought, obviously, you know, there was some planning that went into it. But I think a day like this just kind of – you go off the cuff to a certain extent yeah and i thought they all handled it very well yeah i i i agree and it's it's an interesting situation because you know we were talking as we were walking down here and uh you know when i got hired uh, to, to work here uh, with the patriots you know i i talked to to deuce my my fearless leader about it this being a a long-term gig for me right like i'm a lifer like i, I yeah. grew up 20 minutes from here uh, i'm a patriots lifer I, I hope to be here for the next 20 uh the point being though i never could have imagined in a million years that i'd be two years into working for patriots.com and bill belichick would already well, be gone like that 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 is part of it you know i i didn't know like you don't know but you don't right. think about it like and, and i really figured that i would at least for the first couple you know three four five years like bill would be the coach and i think in in a dream world bill would have been the coach until the shula record yeah he would have passed the torch to gerard mayo who would have a couple more years on the staff to like get ready for this and because this happened this was expedited i think by a year or two for everybody uh that's why i'm i am starting to come around to mike vrabel being the next coach of the patriots because he has the coaching experience in the nfl to pass that torch right i think that for gerard's sake as much as he might feel like he was stepped over by vrabel or whatever i think for gerard's sake handing gerard this rebuild project with zero head coaching experience really never been an actual defensive coordinator before i think it's a big big ask now if he does it with mike rabel upstairs or somebody else upstairs that that has been a head coach that can relate to that then maybe it's a little bit different but to pair gerard mayo 
with like a true general manager, you know, personnel yeah. guy, and then Asterod Mayo to like segue the Patriots out of the Bill Belichick era, I think is a really, really big ask. Whereas Frable has the experience and he also is so comfortable in his own skin. Yeah, that- Vrabel's not going to back down from the – and I, I'm not saying yeah. Gerard is either, but, like, we've seen Vrabel run an organization before. Yeah, so th- that's where I'm at. But, yeah, today was a a, a crazy day, a weird day. Uh, all of those things can be true. Uh, a couple more things just about uh, what was said. Uh, Robert Kraft did say that they're going to move quickly on – next steps you know general manager head coach and hiring things like that and the other thing that i i thought was interesting uh not that it's surprising because i think we knew this yeah. but he had multiple in- hints at the fact that bill's not done coaching so clearly bill and him talked about bill going someplace else and coaching someplace else uh so that'll be a really interesting thing to monitor as well as a Patriots fan it kind of makes me a little bit sick just like Brady yeah. going to Tampa Bay. Uh but in general, you know, Bill Belichick is is we are going to see an Adam Schefter tweet at some point in the next couple of days that says Bill Belichick is interviewing with the Atlanta Falcons. Like that like that's just going to happen. Right. Now if I'm Bill and uh, you know, not that he's asking me, but if I'm Bill, I'm waiting at least until after wild card weekend because if Dallas, Dallas, Philly, even Buffalo, Buffalo yeah. like if one of those teams ends up firing their head coach because they're one and done in the playoffs, those situations are so, so much better than going and trying to coach the Atlanta Falcons, right? Like he, I, I don't think the Atlanta Falcons is that bad. Of the, all the options now, it's probably best fit for them. Because they're, look, adding a quarterback is obviously a big I mean, the step, Chargers but- is the best fit for them. Uh, but are, is he going to have the freedom there to bring in the people he wants to bring in and, you know, expand that staff and Why wouldn't make he? some of the roster changes because they don't spend any money? Frankly, Dallas doesn't spend that much money on their coaching staff yeah, that's either. True. Uh, other interesting thing. Yeah. Do you know some of the people in the room today? So I saw Josh McDaniels was in there. So Josh McDaniels was in there, which – I think McDaniels has been around a little bit this yeah. week. He was obviously at the game at on the game, Sunday. Yeah. And DeMarcus Covington was spotted. Yep. Mike Pellegrino was spotted. I think the other interesting angle about all of this is that, unless it's Gerard and Gerard retains yeah. some of the defensive coaches, there's a very, very real chance that this is an entirely new coaching staff Which come next year. We've talked about this. Keeping continuity on the defensive side of the ball is important. Covington's the one I wonder if it's be the DC here under Mayo or Vrabel yeah or be the DC wherever Bill is what's a better job yeah well I just think it's interesting because in a, in a lot of ways for the most part not always but for the most part it's the head coach's staff right right and those are those are Bill's guys like that's not those aren't the Patriots people like right. that's Bill Belichick's guys are Mike Pellegrino, DeMarcus Covington, obviously his sons are his guys. Yeah. Uh, you know, it, even off some of the guys, Vinny, Troy Brown, like those are, that's Bill Belichick's staff. And most of the time when a head coach picks up and moves on to someplace else, he takes like 99% of the staffers right. with him. So it, I think that there's a really good chance that next year we see basically the Patriots 
last coaching staff here. I, I can't say current anymore. Right. Uh, the Patriots' last regime here is basically going to pick up sticks and go to Atlanta and put sticks down, and all of a sudden it's going to be like Josh McDaniels' offensive coordinator with all the Patriots' right. coaches, which is, I, I think, going to be bizarre. I, I do wonder for some of the defensive guys – because they they obviously have a relationship with Mayo as well. It's if he's if, the guy, it's maybe a if little it's bit Mayo, maybe some guys stay. Um, but yeah, you're right. It's Bills. He's going to take people with him, and yeah. and it's not just going to be that. It's going to be people who have been here. Is a guy? Does a guy like Matt Patricia follow him there? Does a guy like Patrick Graham? Is, I don't know if he's officially been fired by the Raiders yeah. yet, but he's you know they're going to have a new coach. They're well, going to I'll tell you staff. another guy that what, I don't think I saw him today, but Joe Judge is definitely going wherever Bill goes. Oh yeah. So you know no, those... Judge McDaniel's. Patricia, those three are yeah, going wherever wherever Bill ends up. Yeah, Camacord maybe. Yeah, yeah. It, it just it's interesting uh, how how this is all going to go down. I it's it's in, it's exciting. It's a little scary. Uh, personally, it's a little scary because we we've developed a relationships with a lot of these assistant coaches over the years. You know, we've been talking to the same yeah. guys over and over again, and now you're just going to have a whole new uh, you know whole different. A set of people probably looking back at you on those those zoom calls when we have assistant coaches availabilities and things like that uh it'll be a different world it'll be a different world i want to talk a, a little bit uh, about uh more about the the um succession plans replacements yeah. things like that but let's get to the phones and uh you can call in at 855 patch 500 uh tim is in boston he's been hanging on for a while what's up tim hey guys how are we doing good hey. how are you I'm all right. You know, it's an emotional day. Um, you know, I'm I'm one of these young callers. I'm 23. Um, you know, with Bill and Tom, add in like Bergeron and Ortiz, it feels like everyone I grew up watching is gone. Hear that? It's a weird feeling. Oh yeah. Um, but in terms of the future, I think my ideal scenario would be Vrabel um, with Arthur Smith as the OC and Adam Peters as the GM, and I want to know how we can get Mayo into that building with them. Yeah, uh, thanks for the call, Tim. And this is another thing that we, uh, before we get to his question there, that we were talking about yeah. uh, earlier. For people like you and me, I'm 31, you're, you're what, 29? 29. Years. Don't call me 30 yet. I still got two months, you're, two and a half months. You're 30. Don't you're call old. me 30 yet. We're both old. Not 30. Uh, for people like us, and, and I was, you know, candidly, like, I, I don't remember Pete Carroll. Like, I don't remember Pete Carroll. Right. I, I, I remember vaguely watching those teams, but I didn't know who yeah, the head I, coach was I or don't. And I don't remember Bill Parcells, obviously, at all. Like, you hate I, Bill Parcells, too. You wouldn't admit if you did. Well, I so I was born in 92. Yeah. Bill Parcells' last year with the team was 96. Yeah. So I would have been four years old when the Patriots made that Super Bowl with Bill Parcells. Right. No recollection of that whatsoever. I have a little bit of recollection of Drew Bledsoe just because of the 2000-2001 seasons, uh, but nothing before that. And I think a lot of Patriots fans are are like us and relate to that and that we – don't know another head coach like right. we have never seen another like i as much as i you could almost say the same thing about brady i do remember drew bledsoe right and i do remember the year with matt castle and, right, exactly. and all that kind of stuff so i've seen another person quarterback the patriots before tom brady i have zero recollection of another coach coaching the patriots other than bill belichick i used to say when i was in college and you know i went to school in new york said so a bunch of friends that were jets fans unfortunately um and it was crazy watching them go through quarterback after quarterback every year, and they talk about, you know, Chad Pennington or Vinny Testaverde about, like, the quarterbacks from their childhood, yeah. right? I was 
24 still watching my childhood quarterback like it yeah. probably stunted me growing up a little bit that yeah. I'm like oh it's Tom Brady just like I was six yeah um there's an element of that with Bill Belichick too and I think the other thing with Bill is we watched Brady you know and, and obviously we very much enjoyed watching Tom Brady and there were things you learned from him but I remember when when John Madden died last year there was a lot of talk and it was true about how an entire generation of football fans learned football from John Madden, from listening yeah. to him, uh, you know, on Sunday night, Monday night football, on listening to him in the Madden video game, right? You do right. ask Madden, he'd tell you to run the play. I would say... Halfback well, dive. Right. No, yeah. but he'd be like, what you're going to want to do is throw in your receiver here unless you see this. Like, I, I still hear sometimes, yeah. go back, play Madden or hit ask Madden. He would tell you why. I mean, there's like five different cuts, but yeah. tells you why you're running the play he's telling you to run. That, I think, is true for Patriots fans who grew up in New England watching Belichick a lot of our I don't want to speak for everybody but I think for a lot of Patriots fans of a certain age our core beliefs our core concepts when it comes to football are things we heard Bill Belichick say I think a lot of the ways we learned the game was it, it, it can just be things as simple as terminology was just listening to Bill Belichick talk and I continue to learn throughout my time on the beat but really early on like my early foundational uh, football knowledge, like a clip I go back to, one of my favorite all-time Belichick clips, it's so minor, it's on, I don't remember if it's on the 03 or 04 Super Bowl DVD, but it's early in the video. That you watch every day. That I, I mean. And, you watch well, it once a week. So my annual tradition was when the Patriots were in the playoffs every year to watch it the night before the first playoff game. Watch all the DVDs. And then that became like a 12-hour event. Yeah. But there's one clip where they're, it's early on and they're in camp and they're talking about Bill Belichick's attention to detail. And I can't remember the offensive lineman he's talking to. I think it's I'm gonna look in a second because I know the number off the top of my head. But they're running a goal a red zone drill. Yeah. And the or sorry, they're like backed up to the end zone, right? And the, one of the defensive linemen jumps off sides. And Bill pulls him aside and goes, All right, in this situation, offense is backed up on the goal line. Offense jumps off sides. What happens? Offense fall starts. What happens? The lineman goes, nothing he goes, you jump off sides. What happens? He goes five yards. He goes, that's right. So like in that situation you can't be jumping off sides. You're the only one giving up. And it sounds like a minor thing, but I think about that all the time. Yeah. And in those sorts of things, we all learned a lot. Just the the X's and O's, the ins and outs, the minutiae of football, watching Bill Belichick. Yeah, I, he's our Vince Lombardi. That, that, that's it. Like, he he's our Vince Lombardi. He will always be synonymous with Patriots football. He always will be Patriots football. It was Bobby. Did I say Anthony Pleasant or Bobby no. Hamilton? It was Bobby Hamilton. He will be Patriots football for me uh, for the rest of my life. Like that's he is synonymous with the brand at yeah. the, at this point, and he should not be. just pay. He is football. Yeah, he is football. Like like so much of my basis of knowledge of the game is just based on watching him and watching his teams for 20-something years growing up. Yeah, so we talked a, a little bit at the top of the show about Mike Vrabel and Gerard Mayo. And yeah. I, I think a lot of fans, this is their, this is a lot of people's opinion now, is those are two bright football minds, yeah. two guys that we can relate to, that we know we're familiar with. It's a it's a, it's a, a soft landing for the Crafts, absolutely, to, to land one of those two guys. Probably Vrabel more than Mayo just because of the experience let's say, coaching. Let's say relatively soft. I don't think anything about this is a soft landing but, moving on but, from Bill Belichick, but – Relatively speaking, yeah. if you brought in, you know, one of one of you, the people that you hate, you know, like a, a not that Brandon Staley is 
not not on the list. Oh my god, could you? Imagine? But but I'm just saying, like, we if wouldn't you, be able to do the show anymore. <laughs> if you brought in one of these like like unknown hotshot candidate type people, like yeah. Brandon Staley was a couple years ago at the Chargers, I think people would just would be a little bit. Not a little bit. I think people would be very nervous yeah. about something like that. Vrabel and Mayo are comfortable hires. They're familiar. Right. And by the way, I don't think that's just the fans feel that way. I think the crafts feel that yeah. way. So how do we get that. them both in the building at the same time? I I, I don't think, but I, I never rule anything out. Yeah. Because I, I, I just don't. I don't rule anything out. And I don't think that Gerard Mayo would take the defensive coordinator job under Mike Vrabel, simply because I think that he was, if not directly promised to be the succession plan, was probably wink, wink, nod, nodded as the succession plan. And I think he would feel slighted by that. But if he could let his e- ego not get in the way for a yeah. second, him having the official title of defensive coordinator, running that side of the ball, because Vrabel, let's face it, uh, you know, is Vrabel for for the better by the way is really going to be more of like a ceo type as the as the head coach right right he's going to have a, a bill o'brien running the offense arthur smith running the offense something like that gerard mayo running the defense and he's going to be the the guy seeing overseeing all of it as as i think that ideally the structure is for for really successful head coaches if that if he can do that if gerard mayo can stomach that then I can see that benefiting his career because now if he interviews in a cycle or he interviews in two cycles, he can now say to people, well, I'm running the defense in New England. Whereas now I think there is a lot of, well, what the heck is it that you do around there, Gerard? And I mean that in a respectful way. I don't mean to like say he does nothing. I just think that a lot of people on the outside have no clue what he actually does in New England. And I think that that would help his resume if he's not going to get a real shot as a defensive coordinator or excuse me, as a head coach someplace else this cycle, I think it would really help his resume to serve as a defensive coordinator under somebody. And at that point, why not just stay here and do it under Frable? Right. Right. With that being said, I understand the other side of it. And I think it goes back to what we said at the beginning of the show. Is there a way that one of them, probably Vrabel, but maybe Mayo would be open to this too. One of them kicks upstairs and is the president of football operations of the New England Patriots, and one of them is the head coach. And I look at it, and I it's not a perfect comparison. But the one comparison, I we, we said Cam Neely and the Bruins earlier. Yeah. I also think that there's some parallels here with the Celtics because with the Celtics – Brad Stevens is obviously the president of basketball operations and they have a young head coach in Joe Missoula who frankly probably wasn't ready for the job, right? Like right. that, like that just is the, the, the reality of it. But because they had a guy in the building in Brad Stevens who was a head coach, he can help hold Joe Missoula's hand through some of the tif- yeah, more difficult it, It's things. a little different because the in-game coaching is more, holds much more weight in the NFL. You know, to an extent. I mean, there's definitely in-game coaching in the NBA, too, though. Well, but my point is, like, Joe Mazzulla screws up a random game in November, whatever. Fair. You know, Fair. But, but the point being is that I think it would really help a Gerard Mayo yeah. to have somebody upstairs who was a head coach and knows no, what I, that is I, like. No, I think that helps either way, w- regardless of the Vrabel thing. Yeah. Could that be Bill O'Brien? 
because he's already in the building, or even Josh McDaniels. In terms of like him just the so Bill O'Brien is gonna it would be running the offense, right? Like you're not making Bill O'Brien personnel. No, but no, no, no. But I'm saying like there there needs to be an you want an experienced head coach working with yeah. Mayo, and if it's not my point is if it's not even if it's not Vrabel upstairs like that on its own that sure. conversation of getting a veteran coach in the building matters. Yeah, and I think that maybe Bill O'Brien is the guy that you're describing because I you know to you to stick with football and not yeah. keep crossing sports. Like the Rams for example in the beginning of Sean McVay's tenure in Los Angeles had Wade Phillips as their defensive coordinator. Right. So Sean McVay did not ha- didn't touch the defense. Like it, that Wade Phillips was the head coach of the defense. Right. And here it would be Bill O'Brien being the head coach of the offense, Gerard running the defense and that that would be, you know, he Gerard in other words would not have to be wearing all the hats. Right. He would only be wearing some of the hats of being the head coach. You know, maybe that that's possible. And I think that they do have an experienced coordinator like Bill O'Brien already in-house and under contract that fits that mold of what you're describing. So to the other part from the caller. Yeah. Here's the here's what's interesting. If it, Can we move to Vrabel or do you have any more scenarios where it's Mayo is No, you coach? can move to Vrabel. Does Bill O'Brien work for Mike Vrabel? Remember, Vrabel worked for him. Yeah, that would be in a, Houston. a little bit role reversal. I don't know. It must have happened at some point. Yeah. Did we're like a head coach had a guy work for him and then later that coach works for it. You get yeah. what I'm saying? But does it does bringing Vrabel back mean O'Brien's out? I don't necessarily think so, but I think, you know, the more the reason is is that I to to be honest, after the season that the Patriots offense just had, how many opportunities does Bill O'Brien I'm, I, have? Look, right I'm now? good either way. I'm good either so it was basically just to set up. Because the, the big question with both of these guys, we know the Patriots' defense is talented. Yeah. We know Gerard Mayo and Mike Vrabel are both good defensive coaches. Yeah. Probably going to keep some continuity. Like, you have a pretty good idea of what the defense is going to look like. The offense, there's no way of knowing really what Gerard Mayo's offensive philosophies are. Yeah. For us. I mean, they'll he'll be asked about it, I would hope. Yeah. Mike Vrabel, we probably don't know. But we have a little bit to go on, which is the offense that was being run under him in Tennessee. He was the head coach. He clearly signed off on it. His first hire well, was some of it. Well, I'm saying the the scheme. Yeah, he wanted to keep AJ Brown. That's yeah. been pretty well documented. Yeah. But his first hire, Matt Lafleur. That's yeah. a pure Shanahan guy. So is Arthur right? Smith for the most then, part. So here's I can't get a grasp on what Arthur Smith's offense is. He, he's other a West than Coast Derrick guy. Henry. He's a West Coast guy. Okay, but like so. So, but he is Shanahan. Yep. How would you feel about? Because I've seen mixed. So, so Lafleur, if I remember correctly, yeah. Uh, I don't. I think it was in Tennessee, but it might have been someplace else because Frable wasn't there for all that long. Uh, well, Lafleur was only with him for one year, right? But uh, excuse me, Arthur Smith. Oh yeah, Arthur Smith was a tight ends coach, right? First, and that that's a pretty that's a common track. Like Sean so McVay was also a tight thing. ends coach. But my point is, is that Arthur Smith was in the Shanahan tree. Like Arthur Smith is a a a Shanahan. So what scheme was what guy. was Tennessee running before Vrabel? Uh oh God, now we're going because he was there. He was there going back to 2011. Vrabel? No, Smith. Oh, uh, I would have to go back and look at who their 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 coaches were at that point. I, I meant to I, I look this up earlier. Hang on, I'll tell you because in theory, Smith was only under a uh, uh, a Shanahan guy for a year. Terry Rabisky. Yeah, the name doesn't sound familiar. Jason Michael. These were offensive coordinators for the Titans? Yeah, Dowell, 
Laganus, Dow Loggins, Dow Loggins, yeah. So uh, and Chris Palmer. I, okay, those were the OCs he worked for before. I honestly am not very familiar with any of those people's lineages, yeah. but I do know that Arthur Smith ran a very similar system to what Lafleur was trying okay. to do, and then also ran that same system with with the with Falcons. Atlanta, yeah. So it's just more of like a power based. No, Shanahan it, it's, thing. It's Shanahan. Okay. Uh, the difference is, is it Shanahan or is it McVeigh? Shanahan. Okay. I would say under center, uh, you know, outside zone based, wide yeah. zone based scheme, uh, with, with you know inside zone duo uh, to get downhill off of it. I, I think the one thing about Vrabel that he gets talked about a lot, and, and we've talked about it on PU, that he's you know he's still cut from the same cloth as Bill where he wants right. to win games 17 to 14. He wants to build tough football teams. He wants to run the ball, play good defense, like all those things that have, I think, caught up to Bill a little bit. Are we entirely sure that that's what he really wanted to do? Or when he got to Tennessee, he just had Derrick Henry, who was the best running back in football, and he just said, well, this is our best player on offense, right. so the best thing for us to do is to build an under center, play action, run heavy offense, because we have Derrick Henry. Like, if they, if he had inherited a team, my point yeah. is, is, like, if he had inherited a team uh, that was that had a roster like the Kansas City Chiefs, and you had Patrick Mahomes, is Mike Frabel so, going to still throw the ball 20 times a game? That's you know? what he did then. What I would say is, and I noticed, by the way, in the last show, I, I say too much. What I would say in my point, if yeah. you want to play along, maybe have a beverage, um, on Vrabel's offense, yes, that was maybe that's why when he got to Tennessee, he said, all right, it's already – well, we don't know that – who was it before uh, um, LaFleur? We just looked. Terry Robisky. So we don't know. Maybe he made a, a, a point to hire LaFleur. The, the, all right. It worked for him in Tennessee. He ran that offense. His team ran that offense, and it worked. So maybe at this point now, he goes, hey, I know this is what works, so this is what I'm going to bring with me. Even if he wouldn't have had that thought when he started in Tennessee and he just went with what was there, maybe his plan is, all right, I'm going to go try to get, you know, try to rebuild the kind of offense I had. I'm going to go try to get an A.J. Brown. I'm going to go try to get a Derrick Henry. Maybe it is Derrick Henry as much as you're going to roll your eyes at that. I mean, a 30-year-old Derrick Henry, that's what we're doing. Well, that's a I, would, I would kill him for that. You know that. Okay, but you get my point, though, right? Yeah. Like, if he comes here, I'm not totally against the idea of him trying to put back in the offense he had prime years in Tennessee. Not last year, the Will Levis, whatever that mess was. I'm talking yeah. A.J. Brown, Derrick Henry. When they had Ryan Tannehill looking like a pro bowler. Johnny Smith. Yeah, honestly, yes. <laughs> yes Maybe I, not I'm, actually John I, Smith, but I said that like not as a joke. No, like, John Smith was how important. How many times did offense? we talk about part of the reason John Smith doesn't work here? Didn't work here is the usage. And speaking of which, you know who had a really good year playing for Arthur Smith? Yeah, because that's in who Atlanta? he was playing for in Tennessee. Right, is John yeah. Smith. So yeah. I'm not opposed. Bring him back, John. We just we fixed it. We fixed the Patriots' offense. Bring back one of the worst free agent signings Evan of the last answer, decade. Evan Lazar's answer to losing Bill Belichick is to bring back John U. Smith. <laughs> Print it. Headline. Um, I'm not opposed to Vrabel bringing that offense with him to New England. Is my point. I am, but I don't. I'm not married to the fact that that's truly how Vrabel would want to build an you offense. Don't, you'd be opposed to them installing the Shanahan offense here. You'd be opposed to Arthur Smith being the OC. No, I I would be opposed to them 
running an offense that they ran in Tennessee. I'm not saying the exact offense. It's I'm not s- It's not a, a scheme thing. It's a philosophy So thing. I'm not saying the exact offense. I'm saying bringing Arthur Smith in and trying to recreate that with the pieces they have in place. They didn't have in Tennessee a guy like Demario Douglas. I, I am opposed to any and all options that makes you a run-first football team. I, I, I just don't want that. I don't want it. The, the Niners are run first. The, the Niners are their own thing. You can't, like, we can't. But that's the Shanahan to the offense. That's what we're talking about. No, but the Niners run it in a. Like, the Niners are. are it's uh, I. You can't always, like, you, I can't do that with the Niners. Like, the Niners have Devo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Christian McCaffrey. But isn't McCaffrey. that the whole point here? Like, isn't, that why, isn't that why? Isn't that why Bill Belichick was moved on from? If you get me the Avengers to play the 49ers offense, then sure, I will, but, but, I will but, run but it. But wasn't this the point of moving on from Bill Belichick that the player personnel has not been good enough and the idea is they're going to start having better players? Yeah, but I just think that the mindset of this, it's a philosophy thing, right? Okay. Like, yeah. I don't care about the scheme right now, believe it or not. The philosophy of the Patriots organization moving forward offensively has to be what Nick Saban said 10 years ago in that coaching clinic. We need to be able to outscore teams. The reason why the Patriots are in the position that they're in is because they prioritized winning football games, 17 to 14. They, they draft three picks in the top 100 on defense. They spent all their money on the defensive side of the ball. They have all sorts of depth on defense. You know why the Patriots, Alex, were able to stay afloat on defense with, with all the injuries that they had on they that Because they actually built the defense. Okay. Right? So like, the, get... But that's the point. If the organization doesn't change its philosophy to we need to – yes, you need to be able to win football games in different ways. Right? You can't just be – a one trick pony, but until the organization gets back to a point where they can win a shootout and they can outscore people, they are not going to win football games at a high level. They're just not like that. That's the bottom line. So everything needs to be quarterback receiver tackle. Like that's needs to be the emphasis. Now how Arthur Smith or Bill O'Brien cooks it up once they get yeah. those pieces is up to okay, them. So but- hang on a couple things. First off, you said, all right, they need to be able to win a shootout. Arthur Smith's three years in Tennessee, finished 10th in scoring, finished 4th in scoring, finished 15th in scoring. Correct. But so, they, they were built – Derrick Henry, out of all the yeah. like arguments that we've had about running back value and stuff like that, over the last like decade in the NFL, the only running back that you can correlate play-action success to this person's on the field yeah. is Derrick Henry. Like He's the okay. only running back that truly – that truly matters. Look, he, like honestly. So, to get back to it, yes or no, Arthur Smith is OC. You would be in on that, yes or no? Not my first choice, but I understand it. Yes, I would. I would probably rather him be on the staff, Arthur and Smith, not those. Arthur but. Smith or Bill O'Brien? Who's the quarterback? They they're picking the quarterback. Like you're hiring your offense coordinator to help pick the quarterback. I'd say Bill O'Brien. Okay. Because I think Bill O'Brien's background is in quarterback. All right. You know what? Jane Daniels. Jane Daniels is the quarterback. Bill O'Brien. Okay. Uh, Arthur Smith or Josh McDaniels? McDaniels. You know I like McDaniels. Okay, so you don't want Arthur Smith? Not really. All right. It's not like the I wouldn't like riot if they hired right. Arthur Smith. Uh, but I, I, I think that in a lot of ways, you know, Arthur Smith's offense, for example, like just because 
This is what we're going to be doing for the next until they hire right. somebody. Right. Arthur Smith's offense, I think, would work really well with Drake May. Like I think okay. a quarterback like Drake May, he's a little Tannehilly. I could see that. That could just that that could chuck it off play action. That could move around off bootlegs and things like that a little bit. Uh, that that could then on third down just get us a first down, right? Like you yeah. know he could do those types of things. Uh, that that's I think a lot of like what Arthur's yeah he, he is a little bit Tannehilly. Like I think yeah. his ceiling is higher. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In yeah. terms of like being consistent for a longer period right. of time. Uh, but Tannehill, athlete, you know, uh, all you've, did you know that Ryan Tannehill used to play wide receiver, Alex? Right, I don't know if yeah. people have heard that. <laughs> uh, so, you know, like athlete, like that type of guy. Uh, Jaden Daniels, uh, what I find interesting about Jaden Daniels for for Bill O'Brien is like, is Jaden Daniels at this stage of his career that much different than what Deshaun Watson was at the beginning in Houston? And Deshaun Watson's best years were with Bill O'Brien. Yeah. Like did, Bill O'Brien made Deshaun Watson a franchise quarterback. Now, maybe Deshaun Watson would have gotten there on his own anyways because he's that talented, but uh, the point is is that Bill O'Brien did a really good job with Deshaun Watson in Houston. So I wouldn't mind handing Jaden Daniels off to Bill O'Brien. I wouldn't. Okay. He also did a really good job with Bryce Young in uh, Alabama, right? So <laughs> Okay, yeah. <laughs> I heard Bryce Young for a second. I was like, what? who's doing a good job with yeah. Bryce Young? But you're right. So I, I think that Bill O'Brien can coach those kind of guys. And uh, I, I, I don't know. that I'm not – I think that that Arthur Smith has some things going for him. I would love Arthur Smith on the staff. Like if Arthur Smith was a, a tight ends coach yeah. or something like that on Bill O'Brien's staff, then I'll take the brain power, right? Like I'll take a guy that's been an OC and a head coach any day of the week. Uh, what did you make of uh, – take uh, some more calls in a second, but yeah. uh, what, what did you make of McDaniels being here today? Because – um, that to me looks like a guy that's hitching his wagon to Bill Belichick. Yeah, like, wherever I, Bill goes next, McDaniel's. I, I thought he was here for Bill. Yeah, I, I, I thought he was here for Bill. Not only like I, I, he followed as soon as Bill left the podium, he like left with Bill's people, like to like go. Yeah, to he, get on the plane to go to Atlanta. Yeah, wherever the hell they're, <laughs> they're going. The point being is that I, I Josh McDaniel's. I is I don't think that I think we can pretty safely rule Josh McDaniel's out as a coach here. I think that he's as, as the head coach. Look, I, I think he's. Going I think the crafts. I think the crafts like him too, and I think he likes the crafts. And maybe I, I, I'd imagine Bill will want him, but maybe the crafts get competitive there. That's what's going to be interesting. There's a handful of guys: Demarcus Covington, Josh McDaniels. That might be it. Maybe yeah. there's some front office guys that you could realistically see Bill bid against the crafts for. Yeah, and again, I don't think that that's. Like you said, most of the guys are going to go with Bill because they're his guys. I'm trying to think off the top of my head. Is there anybody else really that fits? Um, why am I blanking on his name? Front office. Macro? Ohio State. No. For the Cam day. Williams? Cam Williams. I could see Cam Williams staying. Well, what if Bill wants a man the crafts want? I'm saying there's going to be a couple of guys, yeah. and we may not know. I but... think that a lot of those guys in the front office, because this is just usually how it works, yeah. and I think people should prepare for this as well. Guys like Cameron Williams are a college scouting director for people that right. don't know. Cameron Williams. Guys like that usually stay on through the draft because you can't just, like, start a whole new board they, in January. They've been doing so much prep. Yeah, those yeah. guys coaching. The, the scouting season's very different. The scouting timeline's very different. Right, so usually guys like Cameron Williams and, like, the, the, the regional scouts, yeah. the national scouts, people like that, they'll stay on through the draft and then – if their contracts are up or if the new GM wants to hire his own people in May, that those guys will, will move on. And that's when the GM will bring in all of his guys. But 
no matter who the GM is, whether it's John Robinson, Adam Peters, or somebody totally outside the tree, right. uh, the next guy is probably going to be working with the current Patriots college scouting right. staff on the and draft. And that doesn't necessarily mean the same draft approach. No, it, it just, just means the, that they're, they're, they've already done all the homework. Right. So to, yeah. and, and the reality is, too, if it's somebody like Adam Peters. Yeah, he's been doing it already. He, he's been doing it in San Francisco. Yeah. So it's just, yeah, it's, it's not every single scout being fired doesn't mean that all of a sudden, you know, the approach is going to be the same. Yep. All right. Uh, Patty is an Agawam. What's up, right, Patty? By the way, Adam Peters, right? Adam Peters. I don't had All right, whatever. Patty, are you there? I'm I'm here, guys. Hey, hear me okay? Yep, yep, we got you. What's up? All right. I hope you'll give me a little bit of a vine. I'll try and make it as quick as I possibly can. I want to propose a question that I don't think anyone's brought up, and i got to give you guys some props at the end, too. But uh, first off, Alex, I think Marquise Hill was the player you're thinking of in that in the 2000. Oh, you might be right. It was 04. You're right. You're right. The, the late Marquise Hill. Yeah. Because uh, he, was, he was telling them the situation, you know. They're backed up. You know, you you jump offside to give them five yards. If they if they jump, you're giving them like an inch. You know, it shows them an inch. Um, yeah, he holds his fingers up. He goes, "How much do they get? That much? That much? Yeah." I, I got nothing bad to say about Bill. I know I've been complaining about him for a little bit, but you know, the guy's a legend. Whoever comes in, whether it's Brable, Mayo, whoever, it's it's a tough act to follow. You know, and um, you know, personally, I think. I think the time was right. I think how they handled it was the exact way that they should have handled it. Yeah, I know that there's going to be fans clamoring for, you know, they want picks, they want this, and they want that. You know, there's nothing there, – to me, there was nothing better than to see them handle it in a mature and responsible way. Um, as far as, like, draft goes, I – Jaden Daniels, Joel. I want one of those two guys. I'm not sold on anybody else minus maybe, like, Caleb, Caleb Williams. But I'll, just to get back to Bill – too. Um, do you guys think, here's the question, do you think that this, the year, the 2020 year, put such a bad taste in Bill's mouth of having a losing record, even though it was 7-9, and nine, one game below 500, that he became a little too impatient coming into the 2021 season? And here's where I'm going. Instead of feeling like, oh, I got the, I need the, the pressures on me, I got it, I got to win, I got to win now, I got to win this year, and basically revamping almost the entire team, mostly on offense. You know, they could have re-signed Joe Tooney to a big deal. They could have maybe, instead of getting Mac Jones, traded up and gotten a guy like the prototypical Bill Belichick defensive player, Michael Parsons, and maybe been a little bit patient on, on trying to find, like, that guy, the next dude at quarterback. And, um, Alex, you called it. You called it on, on TV when you said when you, the timeline on how you thought it was going to happen, you know, how you thought that they would sit and meet for a couple of days yep. and Thursday morning something was going to happen. You were right. And, Evan, you would better be a Patriots lifer. That, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> I, I, uh-huh. You're stuck with me, Patty. Years, I, I, you, I better be stuck with you. And, Alex, if, you're, if your contract runs up, I hope to hell that you're, you join the dot-com team because – it is the best team, aside from, you know, you guys on, on CLNS. It's, it's, you guys are the only guys that I listen to. I love listening to Patriots Unfiltered. I love listening to the dynamic that, that you guys have, even before you 
you know, you started um, Catch-22 on TV, but man, it's, it's, it's an end of an era. We should, we, uh, every Patriots fan should be celebrating it. And um, one thing I'm not worried about is I am not worried about the crap. You know, I lived through terrible ownership with the Sullivans and James Ortholine and Victor frickin' Kayam. <laughs> whatever direction they decide to go in, I know it's going to be a positive one. And if it doesn't work, if it's not working after a few years, they're smart enough to know when to move on. That's all I got, guys. Keep up the great work. Thanks, Thank Patty. Thanks for the call. We all, we always appreciate you calling. Yeah, I'm not in. going anywhere either. Uh, yeah, you know, I, we're 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 the Paul Perillo and Fred Kirsch, <laughs> you know, path right now, right? Like we're we're gonna be here until until they kick us out. Uh, so a, a couple of things uh, there, you know, I, I agree 100 percent that I would rather this than get the 2024 2025 third round pick for Bill from Atlanta, right? Like I would much rather them. R- end amicably and on good terms and I, I thought today you know one of the other things that we that i mentioned mentioned earlier yeah. that we didn't uh nicole yang from the the globe asked uh robert Kraft if uh, they considered taking gm personnel power away from bill yeah. and can and but retaining bill as the head coach and uh robert Kraft said that they did consider that and then just said that he didn't think it would work. And I, I think he's right. Yeah, it just would have. And he, he kind of said to to paraphrase, but he kind of said, when you have somebody who's had all this power, and you take it away and give it to somebody else, it creates a power imbalance and a lack of accountability. And he's yeah. exactly right because we talked about this, Evan. If you take it away from Bill and give it to Dave Ziegler or Matt Grow, yeah, what happens when they do something Bill doesn't want? Yeah, are they going to say no, put their foot down, or is Bill ultimately going to get what he wants? And, and on the, the answer about trading, I thought that was fantastic. And Robert even said, fans are going to be mad at me for this, and, and some will, and I understand why. Yeah, but some he, people are still mad that they didn't get anything for Brady. Right, so, and, and he mentioned that. He yeah. said that in his answer, which I was very surprised. Yeah. He said, Compared to, the, yeah. the culture we want to build, Tom Brady earned the right to decide what's best for him, and we gave him that. Bill Belichick earned a right, and this is something, honestly, this was for a long time a Bill Belichick tenant. With the players they paid were the guy it, it's not just were you the best player, did you carry yourself yeah. the way they wanted you to carry yourself? And I think part of the reason things started going downhill was that went away. They were like Joe Tooney's a perfect example. Yeah. The kind of guy that we looked at and said, That's the guy the Patriots pay. Steph Gilmore is another one. That's the guy the Patriots always pay, and they didn't. Yeah. And that so I I would I have loved for them to get another pick? Yes. Do I think they could have gotten another pick? Yes. I might have done it, but I absolutely understand where Robert Kraft's coming from, and I respect it. They, he, Bill Belichick, just like Brady, as as RKK said, they owe they earned their own free agency. Right, they earned the the right to to be able to pick their next destination and and to be able to weigh their options and look at all the options on the table and choose where they want to go next. And I I will never hold that against him in either case that that they did it that way. Right uh, on um. On the rebuild, you know, yeah. the, the, this last time, right, the first time, I I have come to the real, you know, kind of side of the of the fence here that I I actually think that what Patty was sort of saying, I think, was, was that they did go for the quick fix in 2021. Yeah, they paid a bunch of people in free agency that outside of Matthew Judon and. I get you know Hunter Henry's been a good yeah. Patriot. I think Devon Godshaw has been a good Patriot for the most Kendrick part. Kendrick Bourne, Kendrick Bourne, when they've let him. 
it's not that they they went belly up on all the decisions. Right. The but really outside of Matthew Judon, that entire spending spree didn't really land any blue chip players. It just those guys are just not blue chip guys. Like they're not well, they're they're, I, I they're think, good starters, but they're yeah. not blue chip guys. And like Robert Kraft said at the time, most of the time this is not a sustainable model for success. And what happened was is they spent all that money in free agency in 21. They draft the quarterback in the first round. And frankly, they stopped. At that point, they stopped. And all they were trying to do was, okay, yeah, we're going to throw the draft classes on top, right? right? But all they were trying to do in terms of the rest of the roster was stay, you know, tread water. When they lose a guard, you know, they lose Shaq right. Mason, they lose Ted Karras, so they draft Cole Strange. Uh, in the last offseason, they lose Jacoby Myers, so they signed Ju- Juju Smith. Being, it, it stopped being additions and became replacements. They yeah. added in 2021. After that, what what move did they make? There's honestly only one that comes to mind. It's super minor. What move did they make to add a player rather than replace a player they lost? The one I can think of is Mike Kosicki. He was their biggest addition well, for about but they, three years. But, yeah, but I don't know. I mean, Mike Kosicki was replacing John o. Smith. Actually, yeah, you're right. So they 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 continued to just plug holes at that point, right? They 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 would create a hole in the boat, and then they would plug a hole in the boat, and they would create another hole in the boat, and they would plug a hole in the boat. And I think that that all relates back to the fact that they spent a record amount of money in 2021, and they weren't going to keep spending at that rate. Right. So Bill, you talked about last year, and I know this 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 quote got. How much run on your station, right? About about the cash spending, and when Bill talked about the cash spending last year, he said that we look at it in three year increments. So 2021 basically wiped them out from being big spenders in 22 and, tw- and 23, right. simply just because they spent a record amount in that time. So they look at it as a three year budget. So now we need to spread the money out over a course of three seasons. And at that point, they they had already spent their budget in a lot of ways. So they went for the quick fix and it it backfired. It it wasn't sustainable. They had one okay season, one playoff appearance, got blown out in the playoffs, and then a down year in 22 and then a catastrophic year in 23. And I think what they look at it now and they say the next thing needs to be more sustainable and to you know Patty's other point bringing up Joe Alt and bringing up Jaden Daniels. I still am team quarterback. I, I'm going to be yeah. team quarterback. I think when you have the third overall pick in the draft, you only have so many opportunities. And this is the first time we've actually done the show since they've been locked into three. Yeah. Uh, they have so many opportunities. You only have so many opportunities to pick that high. Right. And the Patriots have a, hopefully the Patriots will not be picking this high next and year. And you only have so many opportunities with a quarterback class like this. Most quarterback classes don't look like this. Right. So they have only have so many opportunities to land a guy like this, like a Jaden Daniels, a Drake May, one of those types of players, and I would take it. With that being said, if you said to me that the best course of action is actually to just keep building the best football players possible yeah. and taking a Joe Alt or taking an Olo Fushanu. I can't get my head around the receiver. Like I think I, I can't either. The receivers to me are, are a luxury pick at that point in the draft for a team like the Patriots. But if you want to just say, all right, we're going to commit to the fact that this is going to be a three, four year rebuild. We are going to commit to the fact that Joe Alt in the first round, it probably means that we're going to be picking again in the top 10 of the draft yeah. next year. But we're going to just keep on stacking 
the best football players possible so that eventually we're we're into a sustained model right then i can sort of see that side of it and if that's that's part of relates to bill right like that's not bill's timeline right so i i think that that's that's a another relation to this as well i still go quarterback with the third overall pick but if they went went tackle and they said we're we're doing this because we're building a, a, a the best roster possible yeah. over the next two or three years in this rebuild, I would understand that side of it. They too. will, no matter what, have a chance to draft one of these three players: Caleb Williams, Joe Alt, Jane Daniels. Yeah, one of those three. The other, uh, and, and uh, that's not to say they're going to have a chance at Caleb, but yeah, in in, in the off chance that somebody else goes, you know, where I guess Drake May's in there. I'm yeah. confused. Jay and Daniels, Joe Alt. I think you come away with either of those. Maybe Drake May if he falls. Those are those are your three options. Yep. All right. Let's go back to the phone. Steve is in Denver. What's up, Steve? Can you hear me, guys? Yes. Hey. Yeah. Well, first time, long time. Looking forward to draft season and hearing you guys debate for four months. <laughs> Thank um, you. On that, two quick points on that last point where you guys were talking about what to pick. I think if you look at the coaches that just got let go, including Belichick, but you can look at Vrabel. You can look at. Uh, Pete Carroll, they're these, they've, they've got no quarterback, right? Part, a, a big reason is not that they didn't know how to coach. They couldn't score points. So I think you got to go got to go quarterback. And if you do, one of the questions I have for you guys, you were talking about scheme and Arthur Smith. If you look, if I'm not mistaken, it looks like of the playoff teams, Cleveland, Houston, Miami, Green Bay, L.A., Detroit, and Tampa Bay all run some version of the wide zone. And that's with quarterbacks like Baker Mayfield, Jared Goff, an aging Stafford, Jordan Love, a rookie in Houston, and the carousel that they've got now with Flacco in uh, in Cleveland. So, so knowing that, if you're if you're Mayo or if you're Vrabel, and you know that your job security is based on scoring points and getting a rookie quarterback to score points for you, why wouldn't you go for some version of that scheme? Yeah, it, it's a it's a good call, Steve. I mean, look. The Shanahan scheme, whatever you want to call it, the Shanahan scheme, the wide yeah. zone scheme, whatever you want to call it, there's no doubt about it that right now that is the it offense in the league. And I think a big reason why it's been so successful is that it's probably, from a quarterback perspective, the easiest offense to run. Right. Because it's a very simplified, a lot of their reads are half field bootleg, two receiver route reads down the field, off play action. And it's a very it's a simple scheme to operate as a quarterback, and I think that that's why it's it's so successful. Yeah. To the caller's first point about looking, and I, it's really interesting, and I hadn't thought about it this way, but to the people who say you find the quarterback later in the draft, yeah, and this kind of goes counter your point of making it easy for the quarterback, but why not make it easy for a quarterback that's you know a more blue chip prospect? Just to go through the the job openings as they stand right now, Washington. Yep. Ron Rivera never invested highly in a quarterback. Yeah. Never. I think Sam Howell was, what, a third or fourth round pick? Even later, I think. But didn't he go after ba- Bailey Zappi? He did. You're right. Yeah. Uh, Seattle. Yeah. Never used a high investment in a quarterback. I mean, it's a little different because Pete Carroll did at one point, but in the in the last years. Right. Arthur Smith, you could argue, what did him in. Like, they, they built up a pretty solid roster, but they never— like Desmond Ritter was never. I, doubt, a I would assume guy. that that was their next. That was their next, next move, to, but yeah. sometimes you don't get there. It's yeah. a, what have you done for me lately? Business, right? Uh, the Chargers, Brandon Staley's terrible. Raiders. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa! No, I'm just kidding. Raiders invested in a quarterback, but it was Jimmy Garoppolo. 
So never really invested I, in a real and quarterback. And I think that that was probably their next step also. And the Titans yeah. never really invested in a quarterback. Any of the Panthers who are their own right. thing. It, their own But, mess. I mean, that's what? So there's seven that's not including the Patriots. The Patriots are honestly the one example of a team that did, yeah. and it still didn't work out. But of the seven openings outside of the Patriots, five of them are, you could argue, the main reason it's not working out is they never made that premium investment in a quarterback. Yeah. It's just what you. I know it's scary as we played off the top of the show. I know it's the scary. Carousel, baby. And you, to your point, and I, I watched Donor. that show back last week and I killed myself for not saying this to you. Yep. As much as you can relatively be sure about a prospect, yep. you, you got you to gotta take the jump because that's where you are right now. And, and, and I'm starting, you know, I, I don't think I'm start, trying it. I'm trying. So here's, here's the one other thing. I, I know it's big of me. It's big I, of I, me I, to try. I, I appreciate you for trying. Yeah. The one other thing I wish I'd said when I watched that debate back we had last <laughs> week that I didn't. And maybe it's kind of, I, I don't know. Some, do better. Some people would consider, I go back and watch the film and see how I can improve. You think I don't? I do that. Like I, I, I said, can't. I learned I, a lot I, from I, Bill Belichick. I can't hear the sound of my own voice. I hate it. I've I've learned to kind of put up with it in order to improve. Yeah. Um, I, I, I don't know where this stands now. What? <laughs> Is is Jaden Daniels at three a, an overdraft? Is it not? I don't know. Yeah. What I would say is, if you go back and look, people kind of ripped the Chiefs for drafting Patrick Mahomes too high. Yeah. Okay. People so, draft but, the but, Seahawks. But I'm gonna, people rip the I'm Seahawks. Push Here's back say, on that a if you bit. draft a listen, yeah. If you draft the right guy, nobody's gonna care. If yeah. you draft the wrong guy, you you're drafted getting, the wrong guy anyway. Getting, it doesn't matter where fired. you took him. At yeah. the end of the day. It's all about where you draft the quarterback is kind of irrelevant. Did you draft the right quarterback? Yes or no? Drafting him high gives you a better chance because if you truly – like, there's no, yes, we like Jane Daniels better than Michael Pratt. We can get Michael Pratt on day three. No, period. You like Jane Daniels better. You think he's the better quarterback. Stop. Or, you know, we think Drake May's the guy. If we can get up from three to two, we think Drake May's the guy. But we'll settle for – no, stop. No, if you believe in the guy as much as you can realistically believe in a quarterback prospect, that's your guy. You don't play games with it. Have some conviction, as Fred would tell Basically, me. Basically, yeah. Uh, okay. So and you know what? If you don't believe in, in any of them, you don't believe in any of them, and then it's Joe Alt. I, and I, I find I, it hard to believe they won't believe I, in Joe I, Alt. I know that this is, this is Bill's day, right? But I do want yeah. to talk about this a little bit because I am starting uh, already, which is way ahead of schedule, yeah. so I'm happy about that. In some ways. I mean, I'm way ahead of schedule because the <laughs> second half of the season meant right. nothing. Uh, but I, I am starting to kind of finalize my initial, like, tape grades or yeah. I don't want to call it grades, like tape rankings, whatever, uh, on these quarterbacks. And I, I think the biggest thing to me is that they all have some really, really good strengths to their game um, that I can get behind. It's sort of just like which weaknesses do I want to live with the most? Or are the most fixable? I would say live with, okay, but yeah, fixable is a good is another way of putting it. Um, well, because there's two kinds of issues: there's coachable issues and there's not coachable. Yeah, issues. but I think for the most part, when you really start to break it down, most guys mask weaknesses more than they improve weaknesses. Okay, all right, fair enough. And I, I think that with Drake May, yeah, the the positive about Drake May is that if they still want to be an offense that wins inside the numbers and is a middle-of-the-field-based yeah. passing system, he is definitely the best passer into the middle of the field in the in the draft, I think. Just in terms of timing, uh, you know, velocity to access a seam throw, to access a deep post, things like that matter. 
and just like a feel for middle of the field coverage. He's the best manipulator. Like when I watch yeah. him play, I he's 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 doing thoughtful things, right? Like where like he'll pump one way or show one way to get the defender out, knowing that he's coming back the other way, right? Like those types of things. He does more of that thoughtful manipulation quarterback stuff than the rest of these guys do. So I think if that's where they want to continue doing, then I think that he's probably the best bet for that, even though he is not a precision passer, right? Like he's not – his accuracy, not pinpoint people. his accuracy and ball placement is not very consistent. You better get some guys with a good catch radius. Yeah, so he's going to be somebody that is going to miss some throws. And that's why I've I've kind of gravitated towards like a Josh Allen type comp because I think that he does a lot of the same misses that Josh Allen does where like one in every five throws is like 10 yards over a guy's head because he just overthrows the ball, right? Because his arm is just ridiculous. And you're just like, right. where the hell did that go, right? Like, you know, right. you got a guy open on the sideline and it ends up in the third row and you're just kind of like, whoa, like where did that throw go? But I can see the thoughtfulness. I can see the process with him and then I can obviously see the the, yeah. the arm talent is definitely there and there's some mobility. With Jaden Daniels, he does not read the middle of the field very well. He passes up a lot of throws in the middle of the field. Uh, he doesn't read a lot of, like, in-breaking leverage very well. And he, you can just watch him on film, and you'll see, like, digs, crossers, things like that, that he just p- totally passes up. But the flip side of that is, is that he'll pass it up, and in college, he'll run for a 50-yard touchdown, right? Like, right. he's passing it up to scramble. So... Are you willing to like invite that sort of thing from an offensive perspective where you're saying like okay, like we're not this is not an advanced processor yet, but he's so damn athletic that it's not like he'll just take over in other ways. And are you willing to kind of foster that and build around that? So I I think both of those things are doable and both guys are super talented. It's just kind of which box would you rather which pool would you rather jump into? So right? Am I crazy for actually saying I think Jane Daniels is the safer prospect of the two? And I'll, I'll tell you why. Because let's say neither one maxes out. Yeah. The fallback trait for both is athleticism. And Jane Daniels yeah. is a better athlete. I think the fallback trait for, for May is more arm talent, though. It, but it's arm strength. It's not arm talent. And arm strength doesn't mean anything. That's kind of been proven. That you know, big guy throws ball far doesn't equate to success where you can have a quarterback that can run a little around a little bit and build off of that. I hate to bring up Jamarcus Russell, but big guy throw ball far. Great. And what? Yeah. I I, I would say like, a I don't know, a better, there's better comparisons than Jamarcus. No, it's not. But my point is like, I think when you look at what could go wrong for both. Yeah. If it comes down, they're both guys that if it doesn't, I, I, I've talked about the, the Daniel Jones comp with Drake May. Right. Right, where if it all goes wrong, it's going to be on his athleticism, and that's basically what Daniel Jones is. Yeah. Let's, and I think the same could happen for, for Jane Daniels. Well, if it all comes down, if, if it's just, you know, you got to win off your athleticism, Jane Daniels is better. That's not to say I necessarily have Daniels over May, but part of that is, and we don't know who the GM is, which way are they going to look at it? I think there's some teams that, just see the ceiling for a quarterback, block everything else out, and say, this is what this guy can be. 
They see Michael Penix against Texas, right? This is what this guy can be. Yeah. We're going to make him that. We don't care about any of it. I think there are some other teams that, and this is probably more your line of thinking, picking a quarterback's freaking terrifying. Yeah. It, I just don't want to mess up. Where's the guy with the highest floor? Where's the guy that I just know is going to give me something? Again, we don't know who the GM is, so we don't know how they're going to approach it. But Now we really don't know who the GM is. Right. Yeah. I, I think that's, that's going to be a part of it here. Yeah. I, I think with Jaden Daniels um, – what I really like about him for, as a thrower, yeah. because I think he obviously has all the credit in the world as a runner. Yeah. Well, you uh, liked him as a passer before you liked him as a runner. You compared well, him to C.J. Stroud, remember? Yeah, because what I like him as a thrower is I think that his motion and his mechanics are consistent. Yeah. Not his feet. His feet need to settle down. But the way he throws the ball mechanically from the waist up is really, really yeah. sound. And, and, and it, it's it's not just sound. It's good. Like, he gets yeah. the ball out fast. Yeah. Quick release, snappy release. uh throws with really good shoulder like level shoulders you know really good upper body like you can consistently see the motion every single time right. and for the most part his feet are tied to his eyes which is very very important uh the problem is is that he just gets a little his feet get a little unsettled and antsy sometimes because he's, he's always setting up to run yeah i think but, that's what that is but he knows where he's going with the ball right and that's important too he throws would it be fair to say he throws with conviction yeah if you're yeah. going to be a quarterback that uh, you know your number one trait is I'm a really good runner but like the one thing that I want to see is like do you know where to go with the football most right. of the time and I do think you see that um quite frequently with Jaden Daniels I, I really like Jaden Daniels I, I would be floored with him at number three overall is there a little Justin Fields in his game of like is he going to be able to see it and read it and make throws from the pocket consistently as an NFL quarterback absolutely um, but I'm willing to take a, a risk with a guy like like I would have taken Justin Fields back in the 2021 draft. Justin Fields, yeah. yeah, because I think that you can develop the 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 mindset of that sort of thing. Like that's you can coachable. Develop, you can yeah. teach a guy how to see the field. You, what you can't teach a guy for the most part is like a broken mechanically th a thrower who's broken mechanically, or to run a four four, <laughs> or to run a four four. Can't teach yeah. speed. Can't teach speed. Can't teach size. Right. And he's got those things. Well, yeah. I mean, he's not the biggest of guys. No, in terms but he's of his he's got the, type, the the frame to have. The, like he's got to put on some muscle, but that's doable. Yeah. He's he's not five ten. Yeah, I think it'd be really fun to to have Jaden Daniels. Uh, it'd be fun as a fan just to watch a guy run around like that. That would just be fun, period. But I think it would be really fun to watch. You know, Jaden Daniels in the Deshaun Watson version of the Patriots offense under Bill yeah. O'Brien. I think that that would be a really good fit. All right, uh, Todd is in North Carolina. What's up, Todd? Hey, guys. Uh, hey. There's been some talk about Vrabel coming here and then maybe GMing, and then we let uh, Mayo take the uh, the coaching thing. But I think there's a problem because I think there's a lack of experience in both of those roles for both of those guys. I don't think that would be a, a good solution because I like I played some fantasy football. I sucked at it until halfway through the season, and I finally figured it out. Well, that's really simple. For these guys, yeah, I know they got football background, but it's not that easy. Like, Evan, I've always been impressed with your knowledge and your ability to, you know, see beyond what's going on on the field and all the dynamics. And I just don't think either of them have the experience to do that in that particular role, right? So I cannot see that working. I just want to know what you guys think about that. Yeah. Did the college just indirectly say you should be the coach? Uh, I think Todd said that. I think that's what he said. The people want to know if you're applied. There have been people in the YouTube chat who say you're the only in-house hire they'd accept. Uh, so, not yeah, that I... I'm I, <laughs> I am, I am 
I'm very, very, very far away. You had that ready quick. Oh, yeah. He's got a button over there for it. Uh, that was Mac Jones back in the fall saying oh, Evan God. wants to be the offensive coordinator. I am coordinator. very, 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 very much not qualified for any of these jobs. If I had to pick, though, because yeah. this is let's just play the game, <laughs> uh, you know I would go personnel before I'd go head coach. Okay. 100%. No, but that's just because of the hours involved. No, no, no. I oh. just like I would much rather build the roster and do the draft right. and do the all that than than try to like right. teach some like teach a freaking three technique how to like get off a block. Like, no, thank you. Like, you know. All right, and I get to be Ernie Adams. Let's let's have Demarcus Covington that. handle that. Like, I I don't. We can get we can get Taylor I, Kyle's to be coach. Taylor Kyle's sure. a coach. I, I'm out on that. Uh, so to Todd's actual question, yeah, not not that. Um, look, it, it's a tough to, it's a tough act to follow regardless. And I just, my view on it, I guess with like, if it's Vrabel and Mayo together or something like that, my view on it is just like, I just want all the brain power in the building as possible Yeah, because you are replacing literally the smartest football mind on the history of the world. Right. Like that's not an exaggeration. You were the guy that just walked out the door has more football knowledge than anybody nobody, else to walk the planet. Nobody has ever understood this game better than Bill Belichick. Right. So you're losing all of that, which to me means that you have to, re- you're never going to replace it all a hundred percent, but you have to try to replace as much of it as you can. And I don't, one person is not going to come close to t- tipping that iceberg, right? Like there's no way right. that one person is going to be able to do that. So I don't know if the Vrabel Mayo, the thing that we came up with, with them both being here. Yeah. I, I don't know if it would work or not, but I do know that those are two bright football minds that played in the league that are younger, that understand the, the players that are playing in that in football nowadays that bleed Patriots, right? Yeah. Like that are just Patriots guys. And I think there's something to be said for all of that because you just you are replacing a Titan. Like right. you're replacing a Mount Rushmore coach. And uh, that is very, very difficult to do unless you bring in a whole army uh, to try to replace that guy. Right. All right. Uh, Joe is in Delaware. What's up, Joe? Hi. How's it going? Two quick thoughts. One, I have no interest in Arthur Smith because he had an extremely talented roster and did very little with it. Two, what about taking Joe all early, but then trading back up into first and getting someone like Cam Ward? I think Cam Ward is really interesting because he was eighth in the passing leader and did a lot more with a lot less talent than everybody else. Thanks for taking my call. Thanks for the call. Uh, I have not studied Cam Ward yet. Yeah, Cam Ward's an interesting one. Uh, Everybody thought he was going to go back to school. And he thought he was going to go back to school. He entered the transfer portal before going to the draft. He is – all right. We do our tiers, right? Yeah. Cam Ward is day two Caleb Williams. Okay. Cam Ward is an improviser. Yeah. Cam Ward is a big play hunter, but he does not have the polish on his game that Caleb Williams does. It's all still very raw. Literally on the nails, too. It, it, uh, yeah, you need to do that. Yeah. Nice. Uh, so Cam Ward's a fun prospect. I think you're going to end up really liking him. I was kind of hoping maybe you'd seen a little bit of him. Yeah. Um. I don't know that I would take him in the first round. Yeah. And I know I said my whole thing about reaching for quarterbacks. So they really believe in him fine, but I don't think they're going to believe in him that much. Um, I, yeah, I, I, I don't – I like Cam Ward as a prospect. I don't like him to the point where the Patriots being where they are right now, giving him the keys to the franchise. Yeah. I don't – I 
I absolutely love the idea. We talked about this was our whole argument yeah. last week. I absolutely love the idea of trying to take like your blue chip position player right. with the third overall pick and then picking another for getting another first round pick, whether it's a slight trade down or something like that to make it, it to facilitate it. I love the idea and getting the quarterback later. The problem is in this draft, and I know Quinn Ewers announced he's going Quinn back. Quinn Ewers going right? back to school, so that yeah, yeah tweaks it a so, little bit. So so he's not involved. Um, and I also I did want to go to this point before all this Bill stuff happened, so I guess we'll go here now. I, I don't know what the league is going to make of Michael Penix's performance in the national championship game, and so really what you're looking at is maybe a guy like Cam Ward who ends up being a sneaky guy that comes up right. boards, uh, Bo Nix. Michael Penix, right? Because Jaden Daniels, I think, you know, last week I was, I, I didn't know. I think I've heard enough now that I, that, that he's probably going to go pretty high. He's going to be a top 10 pick. Yeah. Maybe, maybe, top maybe he gets, maybe he falls like Justin Fields did a little bit to 10. I think Fields was in it's 21. Yeah. Michael Penix is, it, it could really drop. And, but, but now in this, I wanted to bring this up because yeah. we gave him his flowers yeah. last week after the Texas game. And I know some people have already DM me and stuff and told me that yeah, I should make same. fun of you for two hours and tell you how much of an idiot you are. Because you a player's entire makeup is, is based off one game. It's how we always do it. Yeah. Uh, Michael Penix's stock, it, I think, is maybe in this range. Like I think, But here's what I would say. If you're so turned off by that performance— I'm not saying Why do you, is that. Yeah. I think that the league, I think we, everybody, myself included, hand up, yeah. got really, really excited after the Texas game. And the league, I think, has been on him as like a, a fringe first round, early yeah. second round kind of guy. And the injuries are a big reason why, right? right? Like, it's not just the film. The injuries are a big reason why. And he could be a guy that's realistic as like the 34th pick in the draft now. It's possible. Yeah, I, I just still think he's going to end up a first-round pick because I think there's going to be teams that – I talked about this earlier. There are certain teams that see the ceiling, look at the ceiling, put the blinders on and say, we can get that out of them. And yeah. I think there's going to be teams that look at the Texas game as who he is. And I don't think he's the Texas game. I don't think he's the, the Michigan game either, by the way. Right. I, I think he's – In between somewhere. Again, right. If you watch all the games and not just one, it's, it's, I love it how people get after me for – Oh, why do you watch college football? It's so stupid. I don't watch college football. And then they watch one game, and they're suddenly the expert on these prospects. Felger. Right? Uh, Felger's actually, Felger was spot on about Penix, and he said a lot of the same thing, things you said. Felger was pants off after the Texas no, game. But even, why do you people? Why did you people think that, that the Patriots needed the number one pick? <laughs> you idiots. Michael Penix was sitting here the whole time, and it, who cares where they pick? Okay, I'm sorry. No, but, but I would he say, was, that was what he No, said. but he came back on the next week and said, look, it's one game. Yeah. And and to your, you tweeted this, which was great. First off, that offensive line, you want to talk about who was really bad in that game. Joe Moore Award winners, too. Who The right tackle, who's supposed to be a top yeah. – you want to know whose stock really got yeah. tanked. I'm yeah. blanking on the right tackle's name, but how many times – Isn't is, it like something like Rohrwasser or something crazy like that? not Rohrwasser, I know, but, but it's like something it's like, like that. It's like Rosen something. Yeah, yeah. How many times was the rusher around him before he even got out of his stance? But the point yeah. being, Penix is somewhere in between uh, who he was in the Texas game, who he was in the Washington game. There's going to be teams that look at the ceiling, get enticed. There's going to be teams that want – this is the other thing with the quarterbacks. 
that want the fifth year of control and say, yeah, we haven't graded at the second round, but we can get into the back end of the first and get the extra year of team control on him, which matters. So, so I agree with you here. And this is why I wonder if Penix is a guy that they make the 32nd pick in the draft. So you're Sim- saying trade back in. So you trade up a couple picks. You're not, yeah. you're not giving up a King's ransom to move up 10, you know, 15 picks. But you're, you move up from 34 to 32 just to lock in the fifth-year option so, and make sure that you have that control. If they believe in him, great. But if they don't believe in him and they're doing it just to pick a quarterback, no, don't do no. it. It, it, it. Also, that here here's why that's scary to me. And it has nothing to do with Michael Penix. Let's say that's your plan and you build your whole offseason around that. And then somebody trades up to 31 and takes him. Yeah. So now what? Yeah, right. The, but the, you, you but blew that was a shot my at whole thing Danielson. last week. Like, know the board. But like, you can't read the. Here lead. we go again. You know the board. You can't. That's your job. Okay, but you can't know it that well. You need to. That's literally what you're paid to do. You look at what happened with the Jets last year. Yeah, but the Jets are the Jets. Like, we're we're, we're not like. I mean, I don't know what we're going to. So be that's now, the thing. To be honest know. with you, we might Bill be Belichick, the Jets. Bill Belichick was able to read the board. Yeah. I I, I don't think you risk an entire season. That's on fair. that premise. I don't think you risk. Okay, it, but if you miss out on him, then what you like, saying, like, maybe, you, maybe it's Bo Nix. Okay, and now you're now you're the, the, the Titans missing out on guys, so you take Will Levis and Malik Wills. Or you're the fair. Falcons taking That's Desmond fair. Ritter. Okay. Either you believe in the guy and you take him, yeah. or you don't. And to your point, you build up the roster. You take Joe Alt in the first. You get your receiver in the second. You build up the rest of the roster, and you hope next year there's some sort of way, whether it's trading up for Quinn Ewers or trading up for Shader Sanders, or maybe like Trevor Lawrence becomes available, Yeah, and then you plug it in from there. I, I would not – and I'm the guy that's been saying quarterback, quarterback, quarterback. Don't do not take a quarterback you don't believe in. Just take a quarterback. That is a burned well, and, asset. And, and well, that's sort of all I've been saying, right? right? Like I'm not saying that I hate all these quarterbacks. Or yeah, not, I have no conviction. That's every you know. Every, oh, you 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 won't commit. Like yada right. yada yada. I mean, maybe, but like the point being is like I am just saying that until I fall in love with one of these yeah. guys, it's hard for me to sit here and say that like I'm gonna bang the table so, for Drake May because I, I, I don't I don't feel that way. Strongly I guess my about my, Drake my point that's fair, but it. Uh, on the flip side, if you do believe in a guy, I don't think there's, yeah, we like this quarterback, but Joe Alt's here too, and maybe we can do this next year. Yeah. Maybe we can get this guy later on. No. If there is a guy they fall in love, just take him. Just take him. Don't play games with it. Yeah, so the last thing on Penix, I do want to talk about like what actually went wrong for Penix. This was yeah. going to be a bigger part of the show, obviously, before <laughs> all this happened. Uh, with, with Penix, I think the two things that you, when you watched on film that were concerning that really came up in this game yeah that make it such a red flag to me uh, are uh, he's really not overly mobile. I think I'm not going to go as far as some people say that's to call him a statue. I wouldn't necessarily say he's a statue, but he's not, he's not a very good. um, He's not elusive. He doesn't have much escapability. And when you pay, when you're under siege, I give him the benefit of the doubt that kind of pressure rate, I, mean, I haven't looked it up on PFF, but, like, I'm sure it was, like, over 50%. It was yeah. absurd. Well, but but he hasn't been good under, like, uh, being... A- and he's not, But I think he's not good under pressure uh, because he doesn't move well okay. enough, 
outright and to buy that extra second. Like we talked about this with Mac Jones all the time, yeah. right? So what ends up happening is is that like you're sitting on your spot. Now you you got people in your face, so you keep throwing off your back foot, right? And you're just throwing back foot passes all game yeah. long, which is I think what we saw a lot against Michigan. The other thing is that Michigan really made him make throws into the middle of the field on time while processing it. And I think what you see on with him on film is, you know, a propensity to like take extra hitches to like not see it quickly enough to not see the middle of the field very well and then not throw very accurately even against texas he yeah. missed some throws to the middle of the field as good as he was and that is troubling because that's the nfl right, right. like the nfl is like middle of the field okay so like they spun the safeties the robbers taking away this cut now i'm gonna t- take the backside dig and i'm gonna throw it like the fourth down play where he threw the interception that basically ended the game that play, Roma Dunze is open on the backside dig, and Penix never comes off the front side read, right? And, like, that's the type of thing that I wish I saw. More, like, anticipatory layered uh, progression read type throws sure. into the middle of the field instead of just, like, the bombs and the dimes down the field are great. But yeah. he's doing that from a clean pocket. What happens when what happened against Michigan? Right. And it didn't – that – those were existent – on film and i think that that's what to to your point like i think that's what makes it hard for a lot of people is because unless you actually watch four five six games of a guy you're not like when he plays texas and he's and he has like three incomplete passes you're not going to see these things like you because there's not enough sample size to really see it but when you watch texas and then you watch the pac-12 championship game and you watch against usc and then you watch the national championship game, oregon oregon is a very good defense and you start to stack these things together and yes like oregon he threw a bad pick against oregon in the pac-12 championship game under pressure Right. And I looked at that and I said, okay, that's a one-off potentially in this game. But then he started missing throws under pressure against Michigan. And I'm like, okay, now that might be who he is. I, I will add too, and I know people are going to say making excuses for him. What, here we go. I'm already the excuse guy for the quarterback. Oh God, don't worry drafted. about what everybody thinks. Um, To your point also, people just start watching it. And they think of Michigan and the one guy they've probably heard of is J.J. McCarthy because for some reason he's a Heisman finals. Yeah. By the way, J.J. McCarthy, also not good in this game. Yeah. Used to go back to school. Uh, that Michigan defense, studs, wagon, legit. Yeah. I you talk about the, the go get me one of those guys. Chris Jenkins, uh, the defensive tackle, had a great game. Their other defensive tackle, whose name I'm blanking on right now, um, also had a really good game. Uh, can we get? What do we need to do to get Mike Sainer still? In New England, the safety number zero, Everett High. Is kid. he the Everett kid? Everett, yeah, because yeah. Paul brings him up all the okay, time. Okay, yeah. Everett, yeah. I, Probably going to be a day three pick. Yeah. Put him in this defense. You'd have a lot of fun with that guy in this defense. Uh, Rod Moore, their other safety. And they even had guys, Will Johnson, who's their number one corner. He's, where's number two? But he's their top corner. Is going to be a first-round pick next year. He's not draft eligible. So you're talking about a defense that, I mean, it, it reminds me a little bit of those peak Nick Saban Alabama defenses where yeah. uh, Derek Moore was the defense, other defense tackle. He's not draft eligible. There are NFL players Multiple NFL players at every single level of that defense. You don't see that all the time in college football. That defense is outstanding. Do you have anything else on Penix? Yeah, real quickly, because right. I just pulled up his PFF okay. numbers. And then I have the, one more thing on the national championship game. game. Yep. So he, they said he was under pressure on 20 of his dropbacks, okay. 37.7%, which seems uh, a, a little bit low, but let's just, let's just roll you know, with it. It was pretty like 
it wasn't soft pressure. It's guys like right in his face. Yeah. It's like clean rushers. It was the he kind was, of pressure. He was four for 18. Yeah, he started, I think, like 0 for 10 under pressure. Four for 18 with uh, a touchdown, two picks, three turnover-worthy plays under pressure. Uh, his yeah. passer rating under pressure, 19.4. It wasn't good. I'm not going to say it was good. Four for 18 is really, really not good. Yeah, it wasn't good. All right. Uh, one more thing on national championship. Yep. Say something nice about Michigan's running back. No. Yes. No. Say something nice about Michigan's offensive line. Yeah. The, 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 but like, this is the thing that I think. And oh, come on, Donovan Edwards. I know I, Donovan Edwards. Had I the know holes everybody's in this game. like listening to this show right now and like didn't like the head coach. Of yeah, the team people are saying game. that on YouTube. The, We're like two hours into this. Yeah. Uh, and somebody called and asked about this. Okay. Uh, and, and I want to. You know, there's another thing I yeah. did on the draft I really want to hit on too in a second. Here's the thing about college football that that I think um, makes it tough. Whoever has the best offensive and defensive lines win every year. Like that. Like that's why Georgia won well, two back to back national championships. I mean, the NFL's not entirely no, it's that not. Either. But the playing field is definitely more level. Yeah. Okay, that's fair. Right. So I think what what happens in a lot of these things, and I know Washington had this like heralded offensive yeah, they line got, <laughs> that got manhandled. But then you saw how good. That's how good. Michigan's defense yeah and, and I think that that's why it makes it hard because like you get to these national championship games and these playoff games and there's just such a a talent gap between one line uh, side of the ball and the other side of the ball in the trenches that like the skill players and the quarterbacks yeah. and stuff like that that's what made CJ Stroud against Georgia so ridiculous it was that he was running around for his life the entire game and was still making throws right and that's what I think separated him in that game from like Penix who couldn't overcome it right uh but at the same time I I just think that that's such a big part of college. like if you're a college coach or a college program and you're not just recruiting all the five-star offensive linemen that you possibly can, then you're a bunch well, of morons. There you're is doing t- it wrong. There is a tipping point because Iowa always has one of the well, best yeah, offensive linemen, but then they don't add true. anybody else. Okay. There is a tipping point there. Uh, what what right. are people saying in the chat? Like, oh, like get back to Bill? Like, people, there's there's a couple people who are very confused as to why we're not talking about Bill. We did the first hour and a half on Bill. Yeah, we're going to wrap sure on we'll get back to we'll Bill. Wrap on Bill. I think we have one more call, right? Uh, no, that, that's our that's our third line that's down. So, okay. so Morel just like has it on hold gotcha. so that nobody okay. calls into it. Uh, so really quickly, the other news on the draft, and yeah. look, this is catch, this is a draft show, all yes. right. Like this is what we do here. Uh, we're not going to spend th- three hours talking uh, about you know Robert and Bill, hand, you know their hug at the end of the press conference. Didn't give him a kiss, Evan. Yeah, that's not how we roll. Didn't give him a kiss. Uh, the other really big news from the draft today, and Barton Poland asked about it. He he asked a very long question. Right. Uh, but Marvin Harrison Jr. declared for yes. the draft. And um, why does this matter? I think it matters for two reasons. One. Uh, or uh, maybe Eldred's out there listening. Uh, people like Eldred are gonna sit there and and say Marvin Harrison Jr., Marvin Harrison Jr. or 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 bust, right? right? Like that because he's so talented, because we're so starving for receivers in New England. Uh, that's part one. Uh, part two is obviously the domino effect it has on the top of the board. There is going to be a team, whether it's the Chicago Bears, it's the Arizona Cardinals, it's one of these teams that doesn't need a quarterback. Yeah. There is going to be a team that's going to position themselves to draft Marvin Harrison Jr. And now that's going to have an effect on the rest of the top five, right? And right. he's going to be a top five pick. Like oh, he's yeah. going in the top he's five. He's probably going to be the first non quarterback off the board. So whether it's Chicago, uh, Arizona, I think are, are the two big ones. Those are ones. the two, unless somebody moves way up. Right. So those are the two big ones. Uh, I guess first part for me is that, like, I just I can't wrap my head around 
a team that needs to completely rebuild on the offensive side of the ball and the first pieces that you're going to take is the receiver like it just doesn't compute so you're going to have marvin harrison jr out there for the first like year or two of his rookie contract with no offensive line and no quarterback right he's garrett wilson Right, like maybe a better version, but he's you know Garrett Wilson is out there having well, that- as stupid as it sounds. There's that little infographic that goes around on Twitter. It started in the Joe Burrow days, where yeah. it's like, you know, the quarterback with no offensive. You right. know, yeah, he's going to be running around all down the field. He's going to be running all open and can't get him the ball. So that I've always been of of because of that draft, right? It was it right. was Jamar Chase versus Penny Sewell, right? Like that was like should the the right. Bengals draft Penny Sewell or should they draft Jamar Chase? The bottom line is, is like you need two or three. Right. You either need the quarterback and the receiver, or you need the quarterback and protection, or you need protection in the receivers. You need two out of three: offensive line, skill player, quarterback. Pick two out of three. Marvin Harrison Jr. might be able to check the receiver box, but you are still very, very deficient in the other two areas. And you've even said the, you got to add one. It's really add one of the two, and then receiver can be the second or the yeah. third, but it can't be the and, first. And my last point on this, and I know he coached like 500 years ago at this point, but Bill Walsh, uh, you know, he wrote, he wrote the book on um, on quarterbacks or, or on offense and how to build offenses and stuff like that. And Joe Walsh always said the wide receiver is the last thing you drop in, right? You build the line, you get the quarterback, and then you go get Marvin Harrison Jr. You don't do Marvin Harrison Jr. first. Right, because it's a waste. It's a waste of Marvin Harrison Jr. I I can't wrap my head around that being the best invest as talented as he is. I think that that would be a mistake uh, for the Patriots to take the receiver. Now, if we go into free agency and they somehow I don't know how, but they somehow come out of free agency with a franchise quarterback and an offensive line, then I might change my mind. Right, right. But in terms of where they're at right now. Uh, the quarterback and the tackle, I think, need to be priorities over the receivers. Uh, so, I guess two parts to your answer as well. Like, how does this impact the top five, and and how are you in or out on on them taking Harrison? Uh, I'm 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 the same way as you. Like, I think Marvin Harrison is a tremendous player, but I just don't think you can start a rebuild with a wide receiver. It's so tough because he's basically going to be useless for the first year, yeah. and then right, you, and you, then you get into the point where like you have to pay him. And then, like, he's right. on, you know, and you start wondering yeah. about, well, it's all just like, if he has a really rough first year, where does that go with his development? Yeah. It started to sound like Garrett Wilson wants yeah. out of New York. Like, I'll take that whole guy. thing. Garrett, right. Like, Garrett Wilson is. Might be easier to just trade for Garrett Wilson. Garrett Wilson's such a great example because Garrett Wilson, I, I he had a thousand yards again this year. Yeah. He had back to back a thousand yard seasons playing with bums at the quarterback position. How many games have the Jets won? Right. Like, how many games have the Jets won? Exactly. No, it's a good point. Um, how does it affect the top five? It's tough to say when we don't know what Chicago's going to do. Yeah. Um, if So let's say Chicago keeps Justin Fields. I think it makes all the sense in the world for Washington to trade up from two to one. Yep. To get Caleb. It's a win-win. They Washington gets and, to go up mm-hmm. to one, get Caleb Williams. And the reason they – all right, well, if they know the Bears are going to take Marvin Harrison Jr., why won't they? Because maybe, you know, the Patriots at three – or the, maybe the Cardinals, they say they're sticking with Kyler Murray, but now there's a chance they can get Caleb Williams, yeah. right? Maybe they move up. Um, Washington moves up to one. They get to ensure they get Caleb Williams. The Bears move down to two. They get Marvin Harrison plus additional draft capital, and boom. Now you're the Patriots sitting there at three with Drake May and Jane Daniels on the board, and I think that relatively speaking – you know, because Caleb Williams is going to go, but relatively speaking, that is the best-case scenario for the Absolutely. Patriots if – the Bears decide we, we're trading Justin Fields, we want a quarterback, 
now you're probably going Caleb Williams, Drake May one two, and and it's Jane Daniels. The thing is, if somebody gets eager, maybe a team like Arizona at four, or even the Chargers at five, who have an established quarterback and want to move up, yeah, maybe you can get them to give you a little something to move up and um, you know, get Marvin Harrison where you don't fall too far back, where you still get a chance to draft Jane Daniels with the other two quarterbacks off the board. Arizona's the really interesting one here yeah, because they have the Texans' first-round pick. We don't know exactly what picks that good pick that's going to be yet during the playoffs. Honestly, if you're the Patriots, you probably want the Texans to win around because, in theory, to move up from 4-3, to three, right now, if the Texans lose, that's probably going to be the 21st pick. 4-21 and 21 for 3 is a lot. Yeah. If that pick becomes like 28, right. That's a lot more realistic, and and you're talking yeah. about maybe I don't have the numbers in front of me, but off the top of my head, you know, three and a third for four and twenty-eight, and there's your second, and and then you go down and you get the tackle there with that second pick from the Cardinals after you take take Jane Daniels. That that's another really good scenario so, for the Patriots. I if I'm a Patriots fan, yeah, and I just gave this whole soliloquy of why I wouldn't take Marvin yeah. Harrison Jr. I am pumped that Marvin Harrison Jr. just declared. Because oh, yeah. I think that there's a very – I think the first scenario that you broke down of Washington and Chicago switching places so that they yeah. both get their guy, but they also get kind of what they want out of right. this draft, leaves the Patriots at three with their choice of Drake May or Jaden Daniels. You could not ask for a better scenario. Yeah. The no, only reason why you can't you could ask for a better scenario is because now you have to pick. Right? Like, <laughs> right you, yeah. you now, you, now you have to pick one. Now you, but, now, now you, know, you don't have the choice made for you. That's Christian Gonzalez falling in your lap, right. right, is to have the chance to get both of those guys. Right. No, absolutely. And we, we've got, you know, a little ways to go before that comes up. But the, to your point, the more players on the board, the better. Yeah. At the end of the day, Caleb Williams still hasn't declared, by the way. And we're still I waiting know. on that. Uh, there's some the deadline's I'm not Monday. supposed to break Patriots news but like I'm not breaking any news by saying this there's definitely some rubblings that he might go back there yeah yeah and, and, and some tea leaves like like guys I mean, his, going into the portal and stuff like yeah that. so yeah well some of that might be Miller Moss USC's backup quarterback had a great bowl game yeah. but uh Will Howard a lot of people thought he was going to end up at USC he was close he goes to Ohio State they had um uh, I'm blanking on the guy's last name, Malachi something. Yeah. Uh, or, 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 well, so they, they had a five-star recruit who was a freshman. He transferred out. Uh, Dante Moore, who was a five-star recruit at UCLA, who transferred. A lot of people thought he was going to go to USC. Yeah. He's now going to Boise State. Yeah. Uh, or no, he went to Oregon. Sorry, the USC guy transferred to Boise State. There's some tea leaves there. But here's it, the thing. It's, the NIL landscape has changed everything. Uh, Jim Nagy tweeted this out. I think yeah. I sent it to you. So far, only well, I guess thirty-five now. If you count, yeah. uh, it's MGH. actually closer to forty because there's some guys who've declared that aren't listed yet. So let's say forty guys yeah. are going to declare for the draft. Underclassmen, I'm sorry, right? Uh, underclassmen, underclassmen are yeah. going to declare for the draft. In a normal draft pre NIL, that was like a hundred players. One hundred and forty was the 2019 yeah. number, which was the last normal year before you got into the COVID years. No, you're exactly right. Yeah, I will say. So, so what what would happen if you lose Caleb Williams? Then I think the Bears definitely stick with Justin Fields. Then you get probably somebody trades up to one to draft Drake May. Yeah. And now you might have to move up to two to get Jaden Daniels, or you hope that's the worst. Case you scenario. hope that maybe somebody wants Marvin Harrison Jr. in there, but probably you're going to get Chicago trading out of one to, or yep. sorry, you hope Washington still trades with Chicago, but it's just 
Washington takes Drake May one, Chicago takes Marvin Harrison second, and, and the more, but you don't have the choice. The more third. options that they can give the Bears and the Commanders yeah. at one and two, the better. Yeah. Because that 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 makes the quarterback fall right into your lap if those right. two teams are one's Caleb, one's Marvin Harrison, and then you fall fall uh, right into your lap. The worst worst case scenario is Caleb Williams doesn't come out and the Bears still decide they're done with Justin Fields. I don't think that's going to happen. Yeah. But that would be now. Now it's Joe Alt. At that point, it's Joe Alt. All right, we have one more call, and then right. I want to give. I want to wrap with our final thoughts yeah. on today. Uh, Miles is in State College. What's up, Miles? How's it going, guys? Good. Uh, my uh, question is: If they go with Joe Alt or like Olu Fashano or even Marvin Harrison Jr., who I know you guys didn't say you wanted, but I think he's just so good. If they go with a non-quarterback, what do they do at quarterback next year? Do they just yeah. give it back to Mac Jones? Do they go and get someone? What do you What do you guys think they do? Yeah, it's a really fair question, Miles, and something that like we need to unpack all the right. angles. It's a good so, question. I so th- well, this, they, can I ahead. say that? Yeah. who's the coach? Right, that's the point. That's a big part of it. Who's the coach? So my guess is is that I don't want to rule. I shouldn't say guess. I don't want to rule out the fact that maybe. Uh, there's a veteran quarterback that that catches whoever's in charge's yeah. eye, right? Like whether that's, um, you know, I'm not for this. I'm not advocating yeah. for it. Uh, but Russell Wilson, Kirk Cousins, you know, them one trying of those to find of, their Baker Mayfield, basically. Yeah, and I don't it, think it's going to be Baker Mayfield, or even just their bridge, right? Right. If they do something like that, I'm not totally opposed to it, but I'm still taking. A Cam Ward, a, guy a Bo Nix, yeah. uh, uh, Michael Pratt, your guy. Like I'm still taking one of these guys in, on day two, and, and I'm making him Jalen Hurts, right. right? Like I'm taking a second round quarterback that has some starter upside. But if you want to pair, um, you know, Bo Nix with, uh, you know, one of these these bridge quarterback types, uh, Russell Wilson for on a on a reasonable contract or something like that, I I, I guess I could. I'm okay with that. It's not what I I would do. I would just take the the damn quarterback at the right. top of the draft and be done. Uh, but it, it's it's a feasible thing, and I think that the good thing is is that we're going to go through March, we're going to go through free agency, and we'll probably have a determination of kind of like the 21 draft where they went into the draft without any real options at quarterback. No, they had Cam. Remember, they signed yeah, Cam, and but we like thought Cam that was Cam is it. not a real option at quarterback. No, we, uh, that, that's no, a little no. revisionist history. That's not true. We no, thought there were a lot of people that thought they were going to run that. Well, maybe not take us. a guy later on. No, we remember. were talking about – I don't remember. Oh, no, we, we – but no, there were a lot of people that were saying that, oh, it's going to be Cam and they'll draft a guy later on, but, you know, whatever. Okay, so um, final thoughts on Bill. Uh, we just got an email from 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 Steve yeah. okay. that I think there is, I don't know if it's the majority, uh, but it's there are certainly people that feel this way. Yeah. And this is a negative slant on this whole thing. Uh, very disappointed um, them parting ways with two of the greatest Patriots didn't even retire as Patriots. Talking about yeah. Bill Belichick yeah. and, and Tom Brady. Uh, Crafts, uh, I won't read that part. Um, are we going to start going back to seeing Victor Kayim? Yada yada yada. Basically, the point of this email is. Um, that the Patriots drove Bill out of town and it was a mistake and there's no loyalty. That's the subject line. No loyalty. And I would just say that go back uh, today, and this is this is my biggest takeaway from today. Yeah. My biggest takeaway from today was that I think that both Bill and Robert um, were uh, adults about it, recognized that the product on the field for the last three or four years has not been anywhere close to good enough let's face it 
they really were not competitive for for four seasons. Like I understand they made the playoffs in twenty one, yeah, but that that was a feel good season, and they weren't they weren't winning anything. They didn't win the division. They snuck in as a wild card, and they got their doors blown off. Right, like right. that. That's that's a reality. I think that you look at ooh, the situation, and I we've said it multiple times on this uh, on this uh, episode. The timelines for the two powers that be in the Patriots organization did not match up. Robert Kraft wants to get back to winning as soon as possible, but he also wants to be a sustained winner. He doesn't want to have a 2021 feel good season and then have a completely blow up in his face in 22 and 23. He wants to have a sustained football program of winning. Like you're not going to win a right. Super Bowl as much as you did with the with the peak Brady Belichick years. We know that. But just in terms of like, you know, what the Pittsburgh Steelers have done, right? Like where right. like even if they're not Super Bowl power, they're they're back in the playoffs this year. They won 10 games, right? Like that sort of thing. And I really feel like both guys accepted the fact that they, that Bill was not the right man for the current job at hand with the Patriots. And I understand people that feel the loyalty thing and are upset by this and all that, but that would be my rebuttal to you, is that I think that both sides recognized in this situation that the best thing to do was to move on because Bill's timeline and the Patriots' timeline and Bill's vision and the Patriots' vision and so on and so forth – we're no longer aligned. And if you don't have alignment like that, then it's not going to work. And I think that these two people that came to the table and they said, we need to rebuild from Robert Kraft's perspective. Bill wants to go after Shula from his perspective. And it didn't make sense to do it here anymore. And I think that you have to realize that that's, it's not, him pushing him out the door. It's not the media pushing him out the door. Right. And the fact of the matter is, is that this, it was just time. It was just time to walk away. It was, and it doesn't take away from, I, I feel like there's so many people saying today diminishes Bill, Belichick's legacy. It doesn't, like, it was going to end. He was yeah. either going to retire or something. Like, it was going to end. So, it, it doesn't diminish his legacy at all. No. It's, he's still the greatest coach of all time. Uh, it, it was. It's still the greatest run of all time. It will not be matched. I know Brady said it will be hard to be matched. It's very diplomatic of him. It will not be matched. Um, and but but sometimes it's just the way it goes. It's yeah. got to end. And and this was a logical ending point. And the other thing is because if they didn't end it here, he, he, that was going to be it. That yeah. because they were going to have to extend him. He wasn't going to be a lame duck coach. And, and they, he was just going to stumble to the Schuler record. Right. Here. Yeah. So it it just it it had to happen. It hurts. Yeah. But sometimes you got to rip the bandit off, and that's what they did. I think you can still appreciate it. You can still absolutely celebrate him. Today sucks. Like, yeah. like I'm, I'm just going to say, it, it's it's tough that this is all, you said it earlier, this is all we've ever really known watching football is Bill Belichick teams. It feels a lot like it did when Brady left. And yeah. obviously when Brady left, things didn't go great at the quarterback position. Who knows what's going to happen to coach? But there, there's an argument to be made for the devil you know is better than de the devil you don't. But I feel like that's what last year was. When they went seven and in, in or whatever it was eight nine last year in 2022, I'm saying, and it was kind of a discombobulated season, and there were some issues. A lot of people wanted him fired then, and Evan, me and you were among them, saying he's Bill Belichick. You give him one more year. They gave him one more year. It only got worse, and it's just what it's a business. At yeah. the end of the day, it's a business. I, it would have been great yeah. if he could retire a Patriot. That's just not. It, 
I just don't think yeah. it, it, it wasn't it, in the cards. It got to the point where I think for both sides, it just wasn't successful anymore. No. And I, I think it wasn't enjoyable for either one of them. I, I honestly, this season more than any other season, I think I saw Bill deflated. Oh, Bill did not enjoy himself this year. No. Bill did not enjoy. And I know he said he still enjoys coaching. And I buy that. He did not enjoy coaching this team this year. He did not enjoy being here. Yeah. And I, I think it, again, the Patriots are going to go in a direction, hopefully, whether it's Mike Vrabel, Jer- uh, you know, Gerard Mayo, or somebody else that is going to be on on here for the long term. That's right. going to be able to coach the Patriots for the next decade. And the realistic timeline for Bill Belichick is that he's coaching for two to three more years max. The guy's 71 years old. Right. He's going to be 72 uh, in a couple months. The realistic scenario is that he's coaching for two or three more years. The Patriots probably are not going to be, if everything goes well for them in the draft, free agency, all that, the Patriots are probably not going to be a Super Bowl caliber team for two or three more years. Right. So, and that doesn't mean they won't be competitive. Right. So Bill is going to build the team all the way back up, and then by the time he's 75 years old and, and can't coach anymore because he's you know, tired, right? then the Patriots are going to be good again, and what for him, right? Does he even have Shula's right. record? Like, if they win four or five games a year, That's he's, four years. he's yeah, not going to have it. No, you're right. You're so right. the timelines didn't line up anymore. I hate that it ended this way. We're both uh, – you know, we both wish that it didn't have to end like this. Trust me. Right. It, it, we really do. Um, as for Alex and I, uh, we'll be back next Thursday, uh, probably back to our normal time today. Uh, the schedule was all over the place with yeah. Bill and everything like that. Uh, probably back to uh, 10 a.m. on Thursday mornings. And uh, we'll, we'll be back more to, like, draft and stuff like that. But, obviously, uh, there's going to be head coaching interviews, general manager interviews. Uh, this is going to be one heck of an offseason, Alex. Like, yeah. this is going to be a wild We've never seen anything like this, ride. yeah. And uh, for us that thought the, the, that we could go to sleep and, like, maybe take a vacation and now that the season is over, Morell, yep. are you ready to live here some more? We're ready to do it. So uh, we'll see you guys next Thursday. Thanks so much for listening and watching. And, uh, you know, pour one out for Bill tonight. It was a great run. Thank you for downloading this podcast. Subscribe on Apple, Google Play, and everywhere else you listen. Like the show? Please rate and review us. Listener comments and ratings help keep us high in the podcast rankings so new listeners can find us. Be sure to check Patriots.com for more news and more podcasts.